For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts. You know, I hear Rory talking about uh, rain, uh, Kerry being the wettest county in Ireland so far this year. Cork and Mayo have been the next wettest, uh, respectively, and then Galway and Sligo. Do you notice, unfortunately, it's pretty much all west coast counties if you like way on the east they get a drier uh, but it's probably one of the reasons why uh, our road network is so appallingly bad somebody sent me a sign that was put up in Bally Buffet recently uh, probably going into a town or a village at the weekend a road sign with regards to the bad conditions it's a big sign it says potholes ahead remove dentures Tighten brass straps. And I can concur with that, although I neither have dentures nor wear a bra. But I certainly was driving the west of Ireland roads over the weekend. So I went through Cork and from Cork through Limerick, from Limerick through Clare, from Clare through Galway, from Galway through um, into Mayo. And they just get gradually worse as you head up. Now, when you get off the N roads onto the R roads, they are appalling. Don't even talk to me about Google Maps. You're better off ignoring a lot of directions from Google Maps because that thing will take you to your destination through the shortest um, possible route. But the roads that it takes you over are dreadful. But even, you know, I don't get it, particularly if you're going into towns or villages. The roads into towns and villages are just appalling. They are absolutely embarrassing and just getting worse. Now, I accept it's not helped by an awful lot of rain and what have you. But God almighty, could somebody please invent a road surface that is um, capable of withstanding all sorts of uh, pressure of tires and cars and trucks and rain? And potholes. I don't know. Uh, Front page of the Echo this morning talks of uh, the death again of uh, Paddy Palmer, the highly regarded broadcaster and columnist who passed away on the 8th of January. That was before James, Judge James McNulty, yesterday because a man's been charged with dangerous driving causing death. Um, with regards to the GAA broadcaster, uh, Paddy Palmer, a man called Bogdan uh, Bezversky. Uh, from uh, Ballinhasig. Uh, now, he had previously had four charges put to him in relation to the alleged hit-and-run incident in Inishannon, uh, uh the 29th of December last year. Those charges including failing to offer assistance at the scene of the crash to the injured party, the broadcaster, Paddy Palmer, failing to report the occurrence, failing to keep his vehicle at the place of the occurrence for a reasonable period, and failing to stop the vehicle. But... The judge was told that uh, Bezversky, uh, who's 33, has now had the more serious charge of dangerous driving, causing death preferred against him. And that makes the front and inside pages of this morning's Echo. The Echo also has court reports of a fellow who uh, walked into a jeweller shop in Cork. It was Castle Jewelers, by all accounts, jewellers. He asked to try on a gold bracelet valued at just under 10 grand. Uh, it was actually worth €9,555. But as soon as he got it on his wrist... He did a legger and he ran away with the bracelet on his arms. A fellow called Jerry Foley from Grenville Court. Uh, he was followed uh, and quick guard intervention um, tracked him down. He was stopped and arrested. He still had the bracelet on his arm, in possession of it at the time. Now, he did sign a, a, a plea of, of guilty. I wonder do many people do runners like that, you know, particularly for some big ticket money items like bracelets or, or jewellery. Well, it certainly happened at Castle Jewellers on Castle Street in Cork. So um, he's before the courts at the moment uh, and being dealt with uh, by judges, by the judge. Uh, and uh, it's just another significant example, I think, um, where you hear an awful lot these days of uh, shoplifting in the city, uh, more so than ever before, apparently. And it's one of the big issues that um, 
the Joint Policing Committee deals with on a regular basis when they get together as to the increased amount of theft and the reasons behind it. Um, other numbers that are going up include house prices. Uh, the Echo this morning has the latest average price breakdown uh, for property on side, And this uh, shows that there has been yet another increase. Doesn't come as any surprise. We're looking at another increase of 4% year on year with regards to the average price of, say, for instance, they give an example of a, a second-hand three-bed semi in the city and county. Both of them went up. So when you look at a three-bed semi-detached home in Cork City, it's €355,000 for the first three months of this year. And that's average. You will get lower Unfortunately, you will also get higher. But at the same time, of course, and in spite of all of the promises that government political parties make with regards to building houses, they fail miserably uh, to hit targets. And the Mail this morning says we will fail on another target. The supply of new homes has slumped by 20 percent. So 6,000 fewer than the same time last year. So the crisis gets worse and the reaction to it gets better, gets, the crisis gets worse, and the reaction to it gets worse as well. And it doesn't look as if it's going to get any better. Even though we are sitting on state land, this is land that is owned by the state and the taxpayer, if you like. Um, and enough of that land could build 60,000 homes by all accounts. And the Independent this morning break it down into land banks and properties that are sitting there could be used to, to build more than 60,000 homes, which would be housing estates, apartment blocks, duplexes, all sorts of things like that. And they break it down and give examples of the National Mint, Leopardstown Racecourse, Dublin Buses Depot, um, above in Dublin, Cahal Brewer Barracks and Rathmines, the ESB Network site out in Sarsfield Road in Cork, uh, as well as uh, big areas of Galway Harbour, all owned by the state apparently, and just sitting there where housing could be built. One man who looks as if he's going to be evicted on, I believe the date is the 1st of May, is Ian Bailey. Uh, Bailey's eviction hell is the story that makes this morning's front page of The Sun. He said to be, he said to be very worried about it. It is causing me severe anxiety. Uh, so at the age of 64, he's looking for somewhere to live because he is another victim, like many, of the eviction ban and his uh, eviction date is the 1st day of May. Lots of dates, of course, um, with regards to different cases in the news of late, I was talking to the solicitor yesterday morning on air, Padraig O'Connell, who's representing the couple who were questioned by um, detectives regarding uh, the death and the killing or indeed DNA samples regarding baby John, the Kerry baby. There's been um, more information and, and this is what's going to happen. Newspapers will come across more and more information and, and drip feed it into into the papers and online as time goes on. I did read the column in somewhere this morning. I think there's a headline in the examiner saying it's time to move on. Um, let baby John rest in peace. I'm not quite sure that that could happen until this is solved once and for all. Wouldn't you think that that's the kind of justice that baby John should have is this being a solved case, murder case. But parking that anyway, the DNA at the centre of the Kerry baby's case apparently was voluntary. You know, the DNA that was given that then led to the Gardaí arresting and questioning the couple was voluntarily handed over by a person who guards believe is a sibling sibling of the deceased baby John. So the DNA that was given over voluntarily, they're saying in the independent, was either a brother or a sister of the late baby John who died back in 1984, horrifically murdered. That person 
who had the original sample taken, wasn't even born at the time of the murder in 1984. So that's an interesting development with regards to that one. And other DNA that could be important to in another unsolved case, of course, is the disappearance of Annie McCarrick. Um, this is Annie McCarrick is, is, is actually even before Baby John. Uh, she went missing in March of 1993. And there's a bag. She had a bag with her at the time. And detectives believe, and they talk in this morning's uh, mirror that a former detective thinks that the uh, killer could have kept her bag as a souvenir. It's a brown bag that she had with her when she vanished in 93. And of course, rightly so, uh, the former detective is saying nowadays that bag would have DNA on it and something like that would be a gold mine uh, with regards to evidence. Uh, so it's kind of a, I suppose it's a plea and putting people on alert that that is the latest piece of the jigsaw puzzle that they need to get their hands on. And overnight, of course, the breaking news of yet another mass shooting in America. Now, um, they've had 128 mass shootings so far this year in the United States. A mass shooting, because I was wondering, how do you put a label like a mass shooting? That's defined as an incident in which more than four victims are shot and killed. And the latest one shows um, six dead at a convent school in Nashville. Uh, Now, police shot dead the shooter and the term they and them is used with regards to the shooter because um, this morning online, NBC are saying the attacker was a 28-year-old identified as a transgender male born biologically a woman but identifying as a trans male um, and went in there with no criminal history, went in with two assault-style rifles and pistols, um, around about 10 o'clock in the morning, uh, and shot and killed six people. Very, very sad. Um, the uh, police then arrived and shot uh, the shooter. Uh, and the papers this morning are saying, at least NBC is quoted as saying, that this person had resentment for having to go to school when they were younger. No other motive at this point in time apart from resentment for having to go to school when they were younger. Isn't it awfully sad? Uh, and again, guns so freely available in America... I don't know what they're ever going to do about it, but there have been more mass shootings uh, than days in 2023. More mass shootings than days. We have our own problems then and here, of course, uh, in Ireland with assaults uh, soaring and drug use and antisocial behaviour off the Richter scale, really. And, you know, they're talking about a dedicated Garda unit now, or at least there's been calls for a dedicated Garda unit that will only work the rail system. Because Irish Rail have had more than 2,000 cases of antisocial behaviour last year alone. What, what, what kind of cases are being reported happening on trains? Well, apparently smoking, alcohol, drug misuse, aggressive behaviour, criminal dam- damage, assault, theft from passengers' property, uh, antisocial behaviour where it leads to shouting and roaring. and You know, you, you know the kind of stuff I'm talking about. Uh, apparently a character harassing females at Mallow Station, employees being attacked at Port Arlington, thefts of electric scooters and stuff like that at Houston. God help you if you put your bag down at Houston Station and you're having a cup of coffee, you blink and it'll be gone. And then other things that need to be tackled, of course, is the issue regarding the dangerous dogs and the dangerous dogs list. And this is back in the papers because of Alejandro Mizanz, the nine-year-old's suffering life-changing injuries when he was mauled in Enniscorthy by a pit bull terrier. So the cabinet's going to hear plans today to hire 40 new dog wardens, more like 400 they need, and to double the fines for owners who aren't in control of their animals. The fine should be increased, they're saying, from two and a half grand 
all the way up to five grand. And then there's this character who apparently, I don't know, did he hire the car or had he a lease on the car? But he certainly leased it or hired it in Ireland. And he drove it all the way home to Norway. He ended up in court because of this and got a three-month jail term. It's a fellow called Bjorn Tweeter. Bjorn Tweeter, a Norwegian telecom engineer, drove an Irish rental car all the way across Europe to his home country in breach of the agreement and he refused to give it back. The company contacted him and said, we want the car back. He said that he needed it and he was going to hold on to it for a couple of months. Uh, He was asked to give it to the police in Norway. He refused and everything. So they eventually recovered the car, Norwegian police, um, and a contractor then had to be sent over to Norway to drive it back. And that cost extra money. So that was before the courts. The court heard uh, when stopped, he told police that he had just borrowed the car, but he drove it all the way to Norway. So he's going to be cooling his heels for a few months. And as the papers are saying this morning, he must have been driving a fjord. I shouldn't make light of it, but I just love the way they put these tabloidy twists on things. He must have been driving a fjord. And then, are people bored yet with the odds as to who's going to be next uh, Late Late Show host? I don't know. I'm just getting a bit kind of yawny on it now at this stage. But just to let you know, Claire Byrne is still the outside favourite, followed by Sarah McInerney, then Angela Scanlon, then Tommy Tiernan, and then Baz Ajmanway. So that's the latest, um, you know, it looks as if Claire Byrne is not just a shoe-in, but she will get the gig. But what I'm more interested in is that Paul Meskell and Killian Murphy have been tipped as the next James Bond. Not favourite now. Unfortunately, favourite apparently, according to the latest post, would seem to be Tom Hardy, but it depends on the poll that you read. But at least they're talking about um, about Killian Murphy. I think he'd be a fantastic James Bond, incidentally. And then, I don't know if I've got time to do this story right now. I would love to do this. If you could put your hands on 75 grand, maybe you would as well. You literally can go on a three-year round-the-world cruise. It'll put you back 75 grand, like 73,000 pounds sterling. You will visit 135 countries. You will dock in 375 distant de- uh, different destinations around the world. Um, and all of your food, and more importantly, your drink, is all included. So all you need is a bit of walking around money. Wouldn't it be absolutely perfect? Firstly, for people who had the time to do it, let's say you were retired or whatever, or very wealthy, but also if you were working remotely, you'd need to set aside maybe 20 or 22 grand a year, multiply it by three, you know, and say, okay, I'm not going to be paying any rent because I'm going to be working remotely. And they're actually redesigning the ship, apparently. Gone is the casino. The space has been transformed into a large business center, complete with meeting rooms. Gone is the Children's Club, TG, which will be converted into a large panoramic lounge. And the perfume and the cheap booze and the cigarettes of the existing duty-free shop are also going to be ditched for an indoor golf centre. So if you were working remotely, what better place to work than on board a round-the-world three-year cruise? Come on! Oh, yeah, I mean, if they can guarantee the internet 100%. I do wonder about the meeting rooms, though. Who, who would you be meeting? Like I, I just, How I have another know? business associate who's also on the boat. I need to, I need oh, to. But go in to the in meeting, that case, you wouldn't. But you might need to do a Zoom or a FaceTime <laughs> with somebody on land. Somewhere. I know, absolutely, hundred percent. And if you can get the internet for it, amazing. Especially if it does dock for a few days in each place, and you will be able to, to, to get the. You would the, see the, the world. Yeah, it would be incredible. Seventy. Are you? Sh- I'm. I wonder though. You say it's seventy-five grand, all inclusive. Like how many different ways can you eat chicken? You have to offer the chicken all the time. Sure, that's all you get in all inclusive, isn't it? Are oh, you saying what happens if you don't like the food? Yeah, but, but you're stopping they, in a different country every day. You're bound to find something you'd like. 
with this have you ever seen the buffets that they have I was on the I was on one recently the Roscoff with Brittany the buffets are awesome yeah, and that's a ferry to Brittany not and a, that's not just a, a ferry three, to Brittany that's a three year the, the Pont de Ven the food is awesome on it oh just have upgraded so they've got the chicken and the beef and the salmon and the and the prawns and like rows and rows and rows of salads and beans and potatoes and vegetables Jeez. I can see a big run on the banks now and the credit unions to power that trip now. Please tell me, please tell me that it is all inclusive. Yeah, it is. Yeah. The package, which starts at 24 grand for a year, goes all the way up to 75 for the three years. It's all inclusive with wine and beer served at dinner. Unbelievable. Like 75 grand. I mean, when you think about 60 it. 60 countries. If you pay, if you pay, I don't know, let's say 100 quid a week on shopping, that's 5,200 a year. That's 15 grand for the three years already just on totally. your own shopping. No, no electric, say no car, light, cars, no heat, no gas, running no a petrol, Absolutely. no insurance, no rent. No, no, nothing. Just go away. Don't go to any weddings. Uh, no, 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 no. Ex- <laughs> right. there's, ex- a, there's a cruise that comes into Cove every now and again. The world. Yes, yeah, yeah. You, you own that, though, don't you? Yeah, like the, you'd have to have six figures in 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 your bank account. God, like. could you imagine? No offense to the people at Cove, but could you imagine saying, "Right, I'm off on a three year round the world trip. Next stop, Cove." <laughs> Come said, on, we can do a bit more they, foreign yeah, than that. Well, you're saying with the story because we're talking about. They say that they expected people booking this three year cruise to be between fifty five and seventy five, but what actually well, happened is years. the average age is 56 and younger mm. over 25% of the passengers are under 47 there's a, there's a YouTuber who I watch quite often because it's so, cruise, cruising is something that I've never I'm, I, I think I'm a bit too young for but I'm always fascinated by cruise ships what's on them and what different things they have oh I wouldn't and, like to be on a cruise ship where they, they're, shuff, they're playing shuffleboard all day or, yeah ah, no, no, no. Yeah, but no, the casinos no. are I mean, and apparently that's a big like American thing the casinos the European cruise ships don't have them but there's a girl well I say a girl like she's a woman but she's around my age and she does them all the time. That's her holiday all the time. There's a whole group of them in their 20s that go cruising. I'd love to talk to somebody who lives on a ship like that. I think it'd be an awful lot of fun. But I wonder what people think. And now, but let me, thanks guys. Let me just say, I understand that people are struggling and this, I'm just saying, at least we can dream, can't we? I mean, the reality of it is who's going to be able to put their hands on 75 grand for three years, but we could at least dream. But if you were working remotely, you know, I see the cogs in many people's heads turning as they're listening. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Text and WhatsApp 086-8104-106. Gorks Red FM. And you pick up the phone on 0818-104-106. Thanks for Rose for holding. I know she's got a busy morning ahead. Rose, good morning. Hi, Neil. How are you? Hi, Grant. I hate these kind of stories. People are so cruel, to, particularly to animals and particularly to dogs. We hear it all too often. Where were you? Was it the leaf fields on Sunday? I No, I was out the leaf fields yesterday. Yesterday. And yeah. it was a lovely sunny day. And oh, wasn't I, it lovely? It was a great day yesterday. Yeah, great to it get was out. Lovely. Yeah. So I was taking uh, the little boy for a walk that I mind, and um, so he fell asleep in the car. So I left him there. So I sat in the wall next to the car, and um, the, the, the car park was jammed. So um, I saw this car reversing in, and this girl got out in her pajamas. And um, I looked down and I goes, God, that girl must be sick or something, you know. So, because she looked mad looking. So I said, uh, I was just on the phone to my sister and I was talking away. And next, um, she opened up the boot and she took um, a dog out. And I thought she was putting the lead on. So she proceeded to put the dog on the ground and uh, she whacked him three times so hard into the back. 
to the backside. And um, so I, with that, I ran down and I said, hey, hey, hey. I said, uh, stop that. I said, hitting the dog. So she said, it's my effing dog and I can hit him if I want. He screamed all the way out here. So I said, that's not right. I said, I'm going to ring the guards. And she's, she lifted the dog back up, threw him back into the boot. But in the boot was two other dogs, the same breed. Now, I'm not great with breeds, but um, there was two other little puppies in there as well. And she just threw, flung him in and closed down the boot and she tore off because but, I... Yeah. Was it a... This was a puppy, right? It says to me she, it took, a puppy. A, she took the I, puppy out by the neck. By the neck. Right. And, like, the puppy thought not of it, you know, he thought he was going for a walk. Yeah. And she, she put him down on the ground, sat him down, and, and smacked him into the backside three times so hard. And I was just, I was shaking. I didn't see did that. Did the night. puppy yelp? He did. He screamed. Um, it was awful. Um, it was the screeches of the puppy that I, why I looked down. Um, and so she flung him back into the car. But when I went down, they were three good breeds. They were worth money. So apparently, correct me if I'm wrong, there were this puppy and two other puppies in a cage in the boot. In a cage in the boot, yes. And to be honest, I don't think the cage was even big enough for the three of them. So um, three puppies kind of in a cage in the... Yeah, three eight-month yeah. puppies in the boot of a car in a cage. These are puppies. These yeah. are like babies. Is it any, any wonder they'd be crying in the boot? Yeah, I mean, he was probably t- excited that he was going for a walk because I've got a chihuahua myself and he, he gets anxious when he knows I'm going in the car and he starts whinging at the back. But, like, what can you do? He's so excited he's going for his walk. Like, if she had a chihuahua and she smacked it that hard, I tell you right now, Neil, she would have broke his back. Do you know? I mean... Probably like, did do damage to the dog's bones or muscles. Or, yeah, you know, I mean... Like, because they are so um, young and undeve- underdeveloped. And all I kept thinking last night was, my God, what's she doing to them at home, do you know? Ab- absolutely. And what is she doing with three puppies in the boot of a car in a cage? Exactly. Uh, you know, no I mean, my, my head... Uh, anything. What? No collars, no nothing like that. No collars, no, uh, nothing. Just, I'm just wondering whether or not, and I don't know whether they were hers, whether she was a breeder, whether they were for sale, whether she was taken to some. I don't know, you know? Well, to be honest, I hope they were for sale because that girl doesn't deserve to have dogs at all. I mean, um, I was absolutely shaken. I cried for half an hour to my sister on the phone. Um, d- d- after witnessing that, it was just, it was disgusting. Yeah, you didn't get there. All, all you know is the girl in her 20s wearing pyjamas. Yeah, I, mean, I, the, think, uh, I think the car was a Fiesta. I'm not sure now, but it was a 181 anyway, see, and I think it was four. I don't, I don't want to know the rest of the number. I don't okay. want to know the rest of the number. I don't, the, I don't but, know the whole lot anyway, but like. Yeah, but I mean, I would, be, I would certainly be reporting that to the CSPCA anyway, even with a partial reg, because that is cruelty. And you have to worry if, if it's happening in open, broad daylight in the middle of the day. Yeah. What is she capable of doing and, behind closed doors? And, and I often worry, not talking about her, but I worry about people who would do this to an animal, right? What would they do to a human or what would they do to a child if they got angry with a child, you know? Yeah, she was, she was vicious. Um, but she went home, the puppies didn't even get a walk then because I, when I, the minute I, I mentioned the guards, <clears throat> she just tore off and she even, she nearly got a slap on the road going out of the, of the car park because she was trying to get away so fast. Awfully cruel, isn't it? It really and truly is. I yeah. mean, yeah. God, they were good breeds. And you know what? She, like, if she's hitting them like that, I mean, 
like the dogs are going to have that fear of anyone raising a hand now. So, you know, they could go for someone. You know, that's um, ah yeah, but just you just hate the idea. To rob them. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, scar them for life. Yeah, but yeah, it's just scar it's them. just the fear that they go through. The little puppies are like little babies. You know, they need to be cared oh, for and, and loved. They handsome, my God. I just wanted to. I just wanted to open the book and take the trees away. So if if we get the 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 partial reg off you there, is there any chance we could get it off the air and give it to Vincent Cashman at the CSPCA? He may be able to liaise with the guardie to see if they can get the full reg. If we know the if we know the make of the car and a partial reg, because uh, th- that's a worry. You know that woman needs to be spoken to, if nothing else. Yeah. You know. I know. Yeah. Is that okay with you? Yeah, that's perfect. Thanks, Rose. Appreciate you calling it in. Take care. Cheers. Thank you. Bye. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. Text with regards to uh, topics we've been dealing with recently, particularly empty houses. It was said that there are many empty houses. It's not that they are all given to refugees. Maybe it's true the refugees get some of the houses, but there are still many, many empty properties. Uh, Government seems not to be willing to give them to Irish people. It isn't the refugees' fault. There was people blaming yesterday on the air the amount of people coming into the country. They're only a part of a bigger problem. Uh, The big problem, of course, is the amount of properties that stand empty. There's still a lot of people in need. They're just not giving them uh, for some unknown reason. That's what's really sad. Correct me if I'm wrong. That's just how I feel, says Sabina. Well, I mean, I have to concur with what you're saying, particularly if they're uh, city council-owned empty properties, because it's taking them an average of 75 weeks at least to turn them over and put them back on the open market. Um, but keep those coming. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone. Um, those rallies um, in the city on Saturday, it should be one mass rally for a general election to get rid of this government, we should get business people to manage the country, not doctors and school teachers that are only on a gravy train. They have ruined the country. Uh, morning, Neil. I think the reason that the level of people coming into Ireland from those countries that was mentioned on the air has risen so much recently is possibly because of Brexit. Britain toughening and tightening their borders. They are coming to Ireland instead. Yes, there has been a significant increase in four or five different countries when you compare those coming in from various countries, 2021 and 2022. As long as our government gives free housing, as long as our government gives dole for life, as long as our government gives all of the trimmings, we will continue to offer this attractive pull factor to immigrants. Ask yourself what other countries know that Ireland uh, exists um, or indeed what other countries give what Ireland gives, I suppose, is the real point of the matter there. So text 0868104106 on that one. Now, you possibly have heard, um, because we were mentioned there in the in the news at uh, nine o'clock, the off-the-ball journalist Shane Hannan uh, interviewing Kelly Harrington and asking a particular question about a tweet that she deleted back in October. Um the backstory to that, and I had to check it out myself last night, having known nothing about it, is that the Olympic gold medalist retweeted a video from GB News five months ago, back in October. It was a Dutch commentator who was speaking about the death of a 12-year-old girl in France. And the commentator said, I woke up this morning to see the news of another young European girl who was sacrificed on the altar of mass migration. We have four people in custody, all migrants coming from Algeria. All right, and that was the tweet uh, connected to, allegedly, the death of a 12-year-old girl in France and the allegation was against four people in custody, all migrants from Algeria. Now, Kelly Harrington apparently retweeted that um, and uh, subsequently, apparently, 
deleted the tweet afterwards. But this is a big story at the moment because many people are talking about it and there are two camps. Was it a fair question to ask her? Um, I believe it was. Um, that's just my own personal opinion. And then when she refused to answer it, should Shane Harrington have moved on? Incidentally, I believe that he should not. Uh, but it was an interesting uh, exchange. It happened during a press event for SPAR's 60th Community Fund. So there was a bit of sparring went on, if you like. And it came up following a conversation about Kelly's role as an ambassador for young Irish people. So they were chatting away and then he asked that question. So what are we hearing with? Is it hearing, we're hearing her respond to the question or at least not wanting to answer the question? I know you had a, 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 you know, a couple of interactions on social media, on Twitter in October, where you're you know, we're talking about anti-immigration and there was a, a quote tweet from a GB News tweet where there were links between violence and, and immigration and migrants. And I know on social media, I guess, in your position as a role model, those comments carry weight. So I was just wondering if you have still the same held views on immigration. So I feel right now at the moment that you're trying to hang me out to dry. So uh, for that, I'll say next question. Well, not not at all. I, I, the discussion, I, I guess, Kelly, just needs to be ha- had. Yeah, that, was a, that, was a, that was a post in October. So I do feel like you are hanging me out to dry. You know me by now and you know you're going to get the truth off me. And that's exactly the truth as it is as I'm sitting here now. I feel like you've brought that up to try and bring up a bit of controversy. So, Hi Shane, just to put in there, we're probably about five minutes left if we maybe want to move on to the next one. Yeah, no, it was just, it was, it's an no, issue. No, I, I, I totally understand it's a question and you have to ask it and everything, but probably best to yeah, it's on. probably best to move on from it. But is it not right that we have the discussion, uh, I guess, Kelly, is my point. That, that, that is that what you want to waste the time on, though? Do you know what I mean? But what, why, why is it time waste? And I know, like you're, as I said at the outset, you're an ambassador. To, to, to young people and to people and these are these are views that some people would, would see as controversial when it comes to immigrants I would argue personally speaking personally that welcoming Im- immigrants into our country can add so much to the culture of, of Dublin that, that's to Ireland that's what you would argue that's what you would argue and that's fine but is, that not, I mean? is that not fair I'm not having that argument with you like I'm not even open to the discussion with you I, 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 best. I think guys it's probably best to move on to be honest we're here today for first bar in their media event which Kelly is an ambassador for so maybe if we want to pop in another question or two and move on from it yeah it went on and on and he, he didn't let it go and eventually he um, decided that he, the, you know enough was enough and they, they terminated the interview at that point in time. Kelly Harrington then issued a statement at some stage later where she said, last October I reposted a tweet of a video from a journalist who I didn't know at the time detailing the story of a young girl in France who was kidnapped and murdered. Uh, moved by the horrific circumstances of this story, I reposted a video of this journalist together with a copy of a quote my thoughts in that moment were of that young girl and not any political opinion. Having realized the significance of my tweet and the hurt it caused to a number of people, I immediately deleted the tweet. I engaged privately with a number of people who were hurt by my tweet and I apologized to them. As a sporting role model, I'm aware that I need to be mindful of what I do and say. I reacted with my emotions and without the facts, how this came across is not reflective of me as a person or my thoughts. Uh, she then went on to say, I did an interview today during which I was caught off guard. I was not prepared for a question unrelated to sport. And my response to the question asked was not definitive. 
Uh, I do not want to engage in politically sensitive matters. What I want to make clear is, though, throughout my life in both boxing and outside boxing, I've been lucky enough to have had many multicultural influences and this continues to shape me to this day. This is something that shapes me as a person, the person I am today, and something I am very grateful for. The people closest to me will attest to this. Since the interview, I've seen some comments that I feel I should address and make my feelings and thoughts clear. As a sportswoman, I am proud to say I am all about community, inclusion and diversity. So that is her response to it after the interview. Now, of course, the big topic of conversation as to whether it should have been a question that would have been asked in the first place. Um, Right. So I'd love your thoughts on that. Secondly, uh, when it was asked and refused to answer and asked to move on, should a journalist then at that point move on to the next question or indeed stay and try and get some kind of an answer. Uh, But one thing that is significant to me, she said, back in the day, she realized the significance of the tweet and the hurt it caused, and she engaged privately with a number of people who were hurt by the tweet, and she apologized to them. Um, So I'm wondering whether an apology, um, just, I'm not even saying that she would need to apologize for something that she believes to be the case or true or her own true feelings, but if there was an apology to some, would have not made better if she had an apology to all or yesterday used the opportunity to say I'd like to draw a line under this I'd like to apologise to anybody who was upset by the tweet and I deleted it but your thoughts are welcome on that one text 0868 104 106 back to the phone lines we go Maureen good morning good morning Neil um, I don't know are you aware of that I know you wanted to talk about somewhat unrelated matters but your about thoughts Lola? on yeah, no with regards to Kelly Harrington and her yes, statement and what you to say yes the little girl she was talking about was called Lola thank you I didn't know that thank you yes okay. I remember it All right. I know the story yeah um, no I, I just got a, a bit of it um, um, for the phone call right um, so who was she apologising to um, well, in, in, in all I know is that she engaged privately with some people I suppose on Twitter and apologised to them that's my understanding uh, of it she apologised because of her tweet. Uh, who did she? Well, I'm one. I'm trying to figure out is here. Who did she hurt by the tweet? Don't know. I mean, the first I heard of it was yesterday. But clearly, back in the day, sometime in October, people were upset by her re- retweeting this regarding Young Lola's death. I mean, was it ever was it ever in court and proven that Young Lola died at the hands of migrants? Yes, it was. I think, as far as I can remember, oh, well. I, I remember reading. Yes. And I remember watching the coverage of the footage of her funeral. Okay, okay. And um, it was shocking, absolutely shocking. Yeah, they did get, they did get, um, I think they got them who, who, the ones who did it. I think there was two women involved, as far as I can remember. I'd have to go back and look for it again. Okay, okay. But okay. It, was abso- it was absolutely horrendous. And if she was apologizing to the people that didn't like her treat because it was... Because of Algeria, because, because they were all my, all migrants coming from Algeria, oh, right. is what okay. the tweet said. Okay, yeah. okay. So she was apologising to the people who didn't like the fact that she tweeted, um, giving the correct, we'll say, nationality of these people and what they did to this twelve-year-old child. Yeah, yeah. Right. Well, why? Why? So but why then? Why I'm then? If that were to happen in another country or France, why wouldn't they say they were French? Or in Ireland, why wouldn't we say the suspects are Irish? But they do say they're Irish, Neil. And they will say in another place they're French. But we're getting here sometimes. We're getting, oh, they're no, French, they're, no, they're they're Irish, no, a lot of the time, they, no, a lot of the time they don't. It might give somebody's address. They might have a foreign name. 
they will say they are no, from I, Algeria. I, I, but if I, it's I, an I, Irish no. person, they will give the Irish person's address, well, but I, never say they're Irish. Well, why, well, why shouldn't they say they're Irish? They're Irish. They're Irish. They committed the crime. It doesn't matter what nationality they are. They, these people committed horrendous crime by murdering that child. We've seen it. We've seen it coming out of Sweden. There's been horrific rapes. There's been murders. They've been everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. But now, apparently, you cannot you cannot tweet and you cannot say what actually happened because you're offending somebody. No, because well, not everybody that comes in from overseas will feel included in society. They're not murderers nor rapists. They're just trying to have a life. And they feel as if they've been profiled because of the country they've come from. Well, well, look, can you blame people if they're profiling? We've got a situation in this country where we have... Look, I'm tired of listening to the words and I'm, I'm kind of trying to stop using it myself. These unvetted men and all the rest of it, right? They're, where, they're roaming around the streets. They've come out from Mullingar, Collins Barracks, with their suit, with their cases, getting on trains, being told to go to a train station, get on buses. Where are they going? They are roaming around the country. We don't know who they are. People are saying, oh, you should send them back. Well, now we have a problem. How can you send somebody back you don't know. First of all, you don't know the name. First of all, you don't know what country they came to. I know, but saying... Thirdly, you but put saying, them on a plane. But, Hang on, but, you but get tweeting something country, saying we have four people in custody, all them. migrants coming from Algeria, means that, that that could mean that anyone coming from Algeria as a migrant is a I potential don't care, murderer. Neil. I couldn't... Uh, that, that, that's beside the point. That is totally beside the point. They got the correct people and they didn't have nationality. This is the problem. There's people in here. Now, go back to our own country. This is here. We, the, people have no idea who these are. And as I said, first, you, you don't know the name. You don't know the nationality. How can you send them back? What country are you going to send them back to when you don't know who the hell they are or where they're from? And yet there's more coming. Mm. And if I was... If I had been mean that, that everybody... person, I would have tweeted okay. to, that, to Lola's parents. I am so sorry that your government allowed this to happen to your child. And I would have made no apologies for it. But, and Kelly shouldn't have made any apologies for it either. But okay. she backtracked and she backed down and this is the problem. Anybody who has an opposing opinion, opposing is the word. We're, they're fascists, they're racist, they're homophobes. What has homophobia got to do with the people who are worried for this country, for the amount of these men who are in this country. We've seen videos online. They're not lies. These are videos that all the people are taking of what's happening. Yeah, but why... why so how are they fascists? Why don't we start, why don't we drop these words for a change and decide to say, well, look, they're the opposing. They, those people oppose us. So we're the... I belong to that crowd. I, I mean, I don't want all those men in this country. I certainly don't, and I'm the do want, opposition. So do you why want, don't do you want, they call us the opposition? Why do, do you want anybody from overseas in this country? No, we're not going to, no. I'm, you're not going to get me there on, on people coming overseas. There's no I'm problem not trying to get you. I'm just wondering who, no, who's welcome no, and who I isn't. I mean, I, like a lot of people have issues happened. with people without passports coming into the country. I don't know. We I, I'm do. Some, with somebody who has an opposing op- op- opinion sorry, to this, that's always what they're asked. I, I, like anybody else, have no problem with somebody entering a country legally, showing their passport. Correct. Yeah. If they want a job, yeah. they have a working visa. Yeah, gotcha. A lot of people if, go yes, for that. I go for that visa. myself. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. Are, they're granted a visa yeah. and they come. Sometimes the visa is turned down for some reason or other. 
they're given leave to apply again. Okay. With okay. that, somebody is say, somebody is saying here this is about freedom of speech. Yes, and that she she should be entitled to freedom of speech and of should stand should. over her beliefs. Yes, of course she should. But this is what's happening. Um, people with an opposing opinion, like me, they try to shut us down. And then they throw all the names like we're fascists and we're racist and we're homophobic. And another thing, what has that got to do with the people that are on the street opposing this? You know, are they just lobbying it and all under the... No, it's not that. I mean, I think if you have more and more people coming into a country from different countries overseas, you're going to have a percentage of them engaged in criminality. It's when you make statements like that against an entire nation, in this case, uh, Algeria. Yes, I see what you're saying. What I'm talking about is what happened in Cork, for example. Why are those people who were, were on the streets and the opposition... Why were they called homophobes? Right? What has homoph- what has that got to do with what the people were opposing? Okay, it has the, nothing okay, to do person, with it. It's okay, just no. thrown in all together and okay. that's not fair either. All right, thanks Maureen. Appreciate it. Okay, As always, text right. eight six eight one oh four one oh six. I've just been giving information here with regards to the actual case itself back in October. Now forgive me, it's not the most straightforward article, but it's uh, involves a 24-year-old who was indicted on charges of murder of a minor under 15, uh, also charged with rape and torture and acts of barbarism. Um, This is a 24-year-old born in Algiers. She uh, came to France legally in 2016 on a student visa. No prior criminal record was shown to police uh, to be a victim of domestic violence. Uh, Currently is now being held in isolation in Fresnay Prison. Uh, Had no job or home was living with an acquaintance, uh, was not known to psychiatric services, declared mentally fit to be interviewed by police. Um, in August, detained at Orly Airport, you know, previous to October, obviously August, August, for having neither a plane ticket nor valid identity papers and was issued an obligation to leave French territory the same day. Um, she had no criminal record and was not sent to a detention centre, was given 30 days to return to Algeria clearly didn't return to Algeria. Um, but according to Dabia Benkarid's initial confession, she lured, L- Lola to her, lured Lola to her sister's apartment and ordered the girl to shower. She then forced her victim to perform a sex act before putting adhesive tape on the girl's face. Uh, after Lola's death, she stabbed the body. Oh, it's dreadful. It gets worse and worse. The police found duct tape and a box cutters in the apartment. Uh, at, the, at this point in time, and I'm open to correction on this, uh, she is being detained pending trial, I would imagine. Text 0868104106. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818104106. Cork's Red FM. Just jumping in, get involved in the conversation. It's not true that the people coming here are necessarily just from the EU. It's also Brazil, African countries, Middle Eastern countries, Pakistan, India. The list is endless. This is not just the European Union. The far left at the rally on Saturday are delusional, anti-Irish, naive, fairy world dwellers. They said housing for all, who pays? Uh, another one, if people come from European countries to Ireland and not working, they should get the same dole rates here as they would back in their own country. The Irish get 220 euro. So when people come here from Poland, Hungary, Romania, China, Croatia, they should get the equivalent rate that they get in their own country. 220 a week here, 
20 a week dole in many of these countries. See how many would then come. Keep those coming. Text 86 uh, you can always email neil at uh, redfm.ie and we'll pick it up after 10. I'm Lana O'Connor. Red FM News is first for local, national and international news. And you can stay up to date by tuning into our hourly news bulletins or by clicking on redfm.ie. The Neil Prenderville Show, Red FM. Uh, no wonder there are mass shootings in America, Neil, when there are 550 million guns in America. Congress should hang their heads in shame, being paid off by the gun lobby groups, brown envelopes all over the shop. Uh, Neil, we're, I'm in a WhatsApp group here at the moment and we're breaking our ass laughing at you, being terrified at misgendering the psychotic that shot up the school in the US, says Dara and Blarney. You're misreading the situation totally. I am not terrified of misgendering. I'm just walking through the story so I get the correct pronouns. That's all. But it's not as if I do it in fear of making a mistake. We all make mistakes. Mind you, it's how people react to mistakes, I suppose. And the Kerry Kelly Harrington story is perhaps an example of that. Mag said it was a fair question and Kelly's response really let her down, let herself down. Super journalism by Shane, uh, says Mags, by Shane Hannan, the journalist. In fact... Somebody is saying, uh, you should, Neil, take a leaf out of that interviewer's book, Shane Hannan. The next time you have a politician on the radio, don't leave the politician off without answering the question. I mean, you can't win. <laughs> what springs to mind when I read that text is the amount of texts that I get when people say that I badger people too much about not answering the questions. <laughs> but anyway, welcome. I'm glad to have you on board because I love those kind of texts. I really do. Just goes to show that free speech is slowly being taken away from us by Varadkar and co. And I'd wish these so-called journalists would interrogate the politicians instead of interrogating sports people. Somebody else asking the question, why are there so many Algerians here? Is there a war in Algeria? I can seem to see that there is. Uh, no, there may not be a war in Algeria, but a lot of people come here uh, legally and through the proper channels to work here. And they're doing an awful lot of different jobs here. And some of the time it's jobs that the Irish don't wish to do. A lot of people in touch then themselves having just been on cruises. Uh, just back from a cruise in the Middle East, it was fantastic. Don't kid yourself, cruise holidays are fantastic. It's mostly younger and middle-aged people on board these days. Thank you for that, because if you have the money or the inclination or you're working remotely, you might want to go on a three-year cruise. It will cost you €75,000. You'll be away for three full years, uh, all in, bed, board, meals, and drink. I don't know if it's a free bar, top shelf stuff, but it's certainly wine and beer with your meals. <laughs> so if you're slow regarding the eating, you could probably have a fair few bevs. But I suppose you wouldn't get you wouldn't be long getting fed up with that as well if you were three years on a on a on a cruise ship. I mean, the beer and the bev, I mean. But you certainly see something like three hundred and fifty different destinations with super fast Wi-Fi. So you're working remotely on board a cruise ship. I, I just love the idea. I really do. When do you get to broadcast? No, no, won't even go there. Anyway, back to the phone lines we go. Chris, good morning. Thanks for holding. What's on your mind? Chris. Neil, how are we doing? Good, good okay. What's frustrating you? Well, do you know, I suppose listening to conversations and while I, I, I'm kind of stuck between have people having opinions because I have mine um, it is kind of hard sometimes to listen to you know this kind of even just, just before there when you called it out why are there so many Algerians here like how do we know where people are from are we checking passports it's just that mentality that kind of gets a bit frustrating you know and I think we're very quick to forget as well you know there's plenty of our criminals abroad yeah. there's plenty of them in Spain there's yeah. plenty of them in Alicante Malaga Amsterdam 
you know, if those countries were to say, you know what, the Irish are bringing trouble here, should we close our borders there, you know? I just, I think if there was 100,000 of us had to leave this island in the morning for, for fear of our lives or for whatever reason we have to leave, in, in a hurry, we'd say. I think it's naive to think that it's only our best that are going to go and it's our creme of, of the crop that are going to go. There's plenty of our criminals that are going to be going Oh, I know, and, but the, I understand that. And the Kelly Harrington story actually relates to one specific incident that will soon be before the French courts where you had a, a, a woman who came from Algiers no documentation, no passport, etc., yeah. etc., et was given 30 days to leave France. My understanding of it must be that she didn't and then went on and now is being accused of the death of a, a very young girl in horrific circumstances. Absolutely. Like our borders, our borders are sacred, you know. Um, they are really, aren't they? And, and crossing borders, there should be a protocol involved and it should involve documentation. Yes, to should, a degree. To no? a degree. You know, okay. our borders, when, when 700,000 of us went, went overseas way back when, you know, again, I think you need to, you need to kind of react to the, the times that we're in as well, you know, in the sense that there's wars going on, there's fear of persecution of humans going on around the world. And if people are breaking our laws, if people are here illegally, then of course that should be dealt with. That's up for the government, that's for the Gardaí, that's for the powers that be to ensure if you're going to allow this to come in that you have to have the infrastructure to support it, whether that be education, hospitals, schools, whatever the case may be. Look, I know plenty of people from abroad. I've worked in the industry where I'm constantly working with migrants and things like that and 90% of them don't want to be here. Do you know that kind of way? Yeah. But are they here with, with like, they, they, they must be, saying, them, but what, it's the channel, no, hang on a second, it's the channels that they would have gone through to get here, um, they, they probably have uh, work visas, do they? Absolutely, yeah, again, but what channels were there for the Ukrainians? They were just told to run, essentially, I suppose, this is the way I see it, and again, it's only my opinion, but for me, it's, it's more along the lines of, you know, get them all out and tarring with the one brush and all of these kind of things and all I was saying in you my see that's why that's why people who um, wouldn't have the same opinion as, as your good self get very annoyed because before you know it they're being called racist and fascists and it's, Nazis I'm not and anybody no you're not no and then said with yeah, all due no, respect to your good self I know that I know that even know. if they came on and, and gave their views it's not necessarily about racism I just think we have to remember um, where we came from, what we had to do, what we needed when we were in trouble, you know, and, and that's all. Look, I'm a father, and look, Jesus, when you see these kids coming across and you see all this, like, where's, where's the human element of it? And I understand people have an absolute 100% right to be against all forms of crimes, against this state, against our people, against their own people, 100%. There's no problem with that. Can we just park the but crime again, aspect of it for a moment? And I'd love to get yeah, people's sure. thoughts on another aspect of it. If there's been a huge increase, and I was telling you yesterday about the 69,000 PPS numbers that were issued to Ukrainians and a rise in number of people coming from India, Romania, Spain, Algeria, France and Brazil. Huge increases. I can give you the numbers again if you want. Um, where are they going to live? We have a crisis yeah. with regards to accommodation. There is nowhere. We've got, a, we've got an eviction ban being lifted at the, yeah. the end of this month. Like, our heads are buried in the sand. For me, again, I suppose initially my, my thoughts were around kind of, um, or my, my, my thinking was around immigration or kind of forced immigration into this country from other countries. But in terms of people traveling and people like Brazilians can work here because they have Portuguese passports. I've worked with plenty of Brazilians. They're fantastic workers. They're great people. Not disputing that, that, but why would the figure go from 2,600 in 2020 to 16,500 in 2021 just with Brazilian passports alone? 
yeah, but that's up to filtering. That's up to the government to say, okay, what do you need? But I, I also worked in an industry where they would, like, you couldn't get you couldn't get Irish people to work in it. I know. So no, no, no. I, I've, I know. Where are they going to live? Oh, that's up for the government to sort. I don't have the answer. You don't have the answer. But what I would say is, is that when you're when you're struggling for people to work in industries, and when people outside see this and they have the opportunity to to come into this, of course they're going to arrive in. But then that's again you said you were saying it earlier about our, our borders and we we treasure them. You have to you have to stop a certain amount and no different than a nightclub that has a license for 500 people if you have 510 people then it starts to become a problem and then if you leave in another 50 and another 50 then you have a fire hazard so it's all of these kind of things so again you have to push it back on the government I suppose all I'm saying is once people are here just be decent to them and treat them like humans and punish them if they, if they break the law no different than our own I totally agree with that punish somebody who needs to be punished be kind to everybody regardless of their colour their skin or their creed but yep. where are they going to where are they going to live if we continue to issue PPS numbers or work visas for people another example and I'm only giving these off the top of my head 21,471 PPS numbers given to people who came from India where are they going to live last year alone Twenty-one oh, and a half thousand. I know that, but what I do know is that um, we take hospitality industry, for instance. A huge amount of uh, people have come from India for those, and a lot of them are being given staff accommodation and all, and all these different types of things. Where employers have to be creative on how they get people into this country to work with us. There's a bunch. Of, there's a bunch of Ryanair staff. Apparently, they may be uh, being inducted into the job and trained up in the job, and they're online now at the moment. And they're Ryanair staff who are, have to come to Cork. I don't think they have to come to Cork to work, but. They have to come to Cork to do extensive training. And they're pleading for somewhere. They're pleading online because they're yeah. coming to Cork to do their inductions and things like that. And yeah. they have nowhere to stay. That's a national crisis in itself, like really, isn't it? The accommodation. Yeah. You know? So that's the only prism I'm looking at through. Mm, uh, yeah. Lifting an eviction ban and nowhere for people to live. Uh, 100%. 100%. I agree with you. Um, but again, I suppose this is why we, we employ people to work for us, you know. And um, we say TDs and others, they're employed by us, so okay. they, should, they should be held account, you know. Okay. Do you, did you, just very briefly then, finally, yeah. just a quick answer, do you think with regards to Kelly Harrington, should sports people be, should, it's a bit like the Gary Lineker story, if you like, putting up a tweet like she did and then being asked the question on off the ball and refusing to answer regarding the yeah, Algerian girl? Yeah, I, kind of, I watched it yesterday and I'll be honest with you, halfway through it, I turned it off. Not necessarily because... I felt sorry for her or I felt she was doing it just because it was going nowhere, you know what I mean? And for me, you know, we're all entitled to an opinion. It's who you are, where you are again. If you put a tweet out in the morning, of course, it's going to be scrutinised. There's going to be people listening to me talking and saying, who's this clown? You know what I mean? Yeah. I yeah. rest easy with my with my feelings and my thoughts and I suppose that's what's important to me, but I'm not in the public eye. She is. Um, it's a different ballgame whether you want to stay relevant, whether you want to stay popular. Is she going to, you know, endorsements, all of these kind of things have to play in. And again, trial by social media, trial by armchair warriors, trial by whatever. Like, I hear what you're saying. I hear yeah, what you're saying. I, I wouldn't, I, you know, for me. But the, yeah, again, like should, uh, yeah, I kind yeah. of agreed with it. Again, if you're going to say something, stand by it. Should she have answered the question then? Or apologise. It's up to her. Again, I couldn't say. For me, I suppose I was I was looking for an answer. It was what I was listening to it. And when I didn't get it, I kind of switched off. Okay. Thanks for that, Chris. Appreciate it. Text 0868104106. Back after the break. 
Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. Tyson Tapawa says, it's easy to say, I don't like people coming without passports when you're not in their situation. If your life and your family's life is in danger, you will do anything to save your family and your own life. Some people arrive without passports on instructions from the agents. It's not like there is a choice of where to go in some cases. I cannot claim this is the case for every immigrant. Uh, thank you for that text. Keep them coming. Text 0868104106. There is a very interesting um, lecture today, apparently, uh, being given by the president of Dublin City University, who will claim today that Ireland's native population could be a minority by the middle of this century. That's according to the president of Dublin City University. It's an article that's online this morning. Well, he says people are nervous about immigration, but immigration is almost always a good thing. People think immigrants come here and take jobs, but the opposite is true. They will come and they will create jobs. But he is saying that Ireland's native population could be in a minority by the end of this century. The president of Dublin City University will claim today, but still large scale immigration is essential if we are to remain prosperous. Uh, He is quoting unpublished UK-based research uh, and has indicated that by 2050, Ireland's population will consist of a multicultural and multi-ethnic mix in which the indigenous Irish will form a minority. Professor uh, argues that any attempt to stop migration here would lead to a significant decline in the Irish economy and a return to Ireland's peripheral status in Europe. Uh, because a major population expansion is needed for the next wave of economic growth. That's quite interesting, isn't it? Based on unpublished UK-based research, he doesn't identify it, or at least I don't know where he's referencing it from, but he will make the claim today uh, that by 2050, Ireland's population will consist of a multicultural, multi-ethnic mix in which the indigenous Irish will form a minority. Uh, text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. Now, I hope after 11 this morning to speak with what I believe is a really, really interesting man. I had an opportunity to talk with him uh, last week. He is um, a man whose life is fascinating because he was all his life, throughout his life, working within the Irish prison service, right? Fascinating life at the heart of Ireland's criminal activity, including being just outside the room um, for an interview that he'll that I'll never forget um, uh, because at one point he references in my conversation an interview that I had on air 20 odd years ago with somebody who was accused of a, a murder, uh, did time for the murder um, and then was subsequently released because of uh, issues regarding the evidence. And during that conversation 20 years ago, he was talking about a prison officer, would you believe, both of those stories are connected because the prison officer he was talking about, Peter Pringle, 20 years ago on air with me, was Noel. Uh, so he worked in many, many different prisons around Ireland uh, right back to the early 1970s. Yes, he did work in Cork Prison. Yes, he did work in Spike. And it's a fantastic conversation. How, how did I get chatting with him first? Well, um, I was telling you about Creative Lives yesterday. Um, and anyone interested in getting involved in a new group, right? If you've got time in your hands or you want to meet new people or do new things, there's a free event on uh, that's being held and Red FM are, are sponsoring it at the top floor of County Hall today from half past six to eight o'clock. And lots of different groups will be there, right? So you'll have men's sheds, choirs, dance troops, toastmasters, paint and pint groups. 
I love that. Do a bit of painting and have a pint at the same time. Wood turning guilds, drama groups, cookery, bakering. I'm just giving you a few off the top of my head. It's just an indication for you as to how many different groups are out there and the things that they do that you might want to be part of and have a creative life, right? So that's tonight, half past six to eight o'clock at the County Hall. But, you know, if it just were to hone in on one of them, men's sheds. Our reporter, Breda Forrest, went over to the men's shed in Mayfield to see what the lads are up to up there. And I know that I spoke to some of the characters, uh, the men from the men's shed last year, and they came in and they sang some songs because they... That's what they do. They get together, they sing, they have a choir, they bring in guitars, they do some super stuff. So I'll talk to Noel after 11 o'clock, but here's an example of what I'm talking about. This is the Mayfield Men's Shed. I, I was at a loose end, I suppose, because from the time you retire from your job, you run out of a lot of options, like what to do, and uh, but they sorted up a whole whole new ball game, and uh, it's full of characters, as you know. I spent 37 years in the army, but um, about this group here, I've said it to a few lads there that um, if I was blindfolded and I was brought up here, I think I'd be inside in Collins's barracks with the crack that goes on here. It, yeah, and I'm not here that long now, and I've been to say, definitely, I was so important, they gave me a job the minute I've been making the tea. <laughs> so I'm still on trial, because I'm, I'm still, I still haven't worked out the tea bags yet. <laughs> and you know, when you come out of um, an institution, as a lot of fellas did, of work with groups of men, it's um, routine, can be gone. And I've known of men who retired, and they just couldn't handle it. You see, today, they're fighting files. And Monday morning they do nothing, they're not need. they're no longer needed. I personally don't drink or smoke and I had no outlet as such. You know, okay, I played a bit of golf and I was occupied. As I got to know the lads and the crack and, you know, how we all look after each other. What I have learned is men won't talk face to face, but they will talk shoulder to shoulder. You'll be standing there doing a bit of woodwork and they'll open up a bullet. That's what I have found anyway. What do you think it is, John? Or, uh, this is a, a new lease of life now for me. I just said to the lads, if, if any of us get there, we can just tune them and then we start it off. And the, 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 the choir then progressed from there. And you mentioned when a go about guys coming quite frank over when he came in, he was very quiet and we can't shut him up now, right? <laughs> he never shuts up, like. When you're an individual coming in, it's not that easy to walk into a crowd, you know. But these people are very good because the first day I come in here, I thought, oh, mm, God, you know, didn't know how people were going to react or whatever. And I think that's a natural thing, isn't it? I was like, the bonnage when I come in, you know, they were, they were great. Absolutely marvellous. I've been truthful about it. It's the best thing that ever happened to me. On a Tuesday morning, at Happy State, my wife had my guitar outside the door. They make sure, make sure that I come up here, you know. And if the shade is gone, I'm divorced. Which is the best thing I tell you to talk, which is the best thing I ever... You know, we go home with good farm and what have you. So it helps at home as well, big time. Just actually better than Albert Crumsley. <laughs> we have a few agony hands, so I'll solve any problem. <laughs> Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818 104 106 Red 
FM. I'm picking up on my uh, conversation with Maureen. Quite an amount of text on that. Neil is trying to get her. And when she is right, why is he saying, okay, okay, and then moves her off the topic? Another person says, that woman, Maureen, is 100% correct with regards to our borders and what have you. You are so rude talking over that lady, Maureen, and preventing her from finishing her points. She is so correct in what she said. Do you even realize what happened to that 12-year-old girl? Of course, we should know what country they are from. Stop playing to the foreigners. Uh, Hi, let me put this politely as I can. If you are more concerned with people's feelings getting hurt than you are with the rape and slaughter of innocent women and children, then you have got your priorities wrong, says Richie in Toker. I think that's unfair. I mean, but you're entitled to say it because... That is not how I feel in any way, shape, or form. And I wonder, really, do you think that that's the way that I feel about things, Richie? Come on, give me a break, please. If you don't agree with our leader, Leo Varadkar, a gay man of immigrant descent, then you were automatically called a racist homophobe by the far left. Everyone, I thought, is entitled to their own opinion. Uh, People should not be labelled. And then leading on to how we started on this, which was the story related to Kelly Harrington. It is a joke that these so-called journalists are going after an athlete because of a tweet about a murdered child in France. Yet no one journalist, apart from the gripped media, goes after the corrupt politicians in this country. We have instead scripted questions for the government, but hang out to dry questions for this sportswoman. She does not need to apologize. This little girl uh, was murdered. I can't read out the entire text because it's before the courts, even though it's a different jurisdiction. There is a suspect, obviously. Fact, if you're not outraged by this murder, but outraged by a question, then you are asleep. Uh, Kelly should not have backed down, says somebody else. I agree with Maureen currently on air. Another person says, listening to show, for any serious crime, the location of the criminal is given so as to alert the people of a danger in their community. That's what it is. I don't know why people get upset for stating a helpful fact like that, says Sean in Balafihan. Uh, that wasn't actually the, the the point that I was trying to address. The point was not so much the location of where you live, where you live. That that would be given for sure. But the point was earlier this morning about your nationality. Um, I'm listening to your show, and it's heartbreaking hearing about poor Lola. Uh, as a parent, I'm afraid to let my kids go to places in my area, as we now have three men in the local direct provision who are here from Killarney. The guys involved in the trouble after Christmas. We don't know who they are. Uh, And from the Killarney incident, it's making many parents very concerned and afraid now to allow our kids out. And another one or two. Sorry, I'm at work. Can't take a call. But if an Irish person murdered someone in America, media in America would identify them as Irish. Uh, Regarding Kelly Harrington, are those who are supporting uh, Gary Lineker's right to a personal opinion on Twitter now also supporting Kelly Harrington? Or does it only apply if they agree with the person's opinion? And one more. How do parents open the ground and put their children in all because of someone else's leniency in letting rapists, murderers and paedophiles harm our children? I, for one, won't. My heart is broken when I hear that story of poor Lola. We don't have the infrastructure to deal with more migrants. That is the problem. So that really is just uh, just a selection of texts. I'll come back to it throughout the course of the next hour and a bit. Text 0868-104-106. Pick up the phone on 0818-104-106. Uh, ran out of time yesterday and I was looking forward to a chat uh, with uh, the great uh, Pat Dawson. They call him a cork man who helped transform the Irish tourism industry He's recently announced his retirement, but the last time I checked, the great Pat Dawson was born in Carlow. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Pat, good morning. Good morning, Ian. How are you? Are you a Cork man or a Car- Carlow man, or did we adopt you, or what? 
Well, I hoped you adopted me, but it's I'm originally from from Carlo. I read it on the Echo and uh, and that, but uh, they know now. But I uh, <laughs> certainly very much adopted, and uh, all my kids and relatives are, are now uh, Corkonians. So we'll, we'll go with that. We claim you. We claim you. Yeah. <laughs> fifty fifty years, but a little birdie told me that you're not hanging up your wings hundred percent, are you? After fifty years. No, I'm not. No, I, I get involved in, uh, you know, some voluntary work or whatever else. I, I do serve on, on the board of St. John's College, which is, which is a great institution. In fact, I have a board meeting today. So I'll certainly I'll certainly be busy and I have a few grandchildren running around the place as well. So, um, uh, And I have an American family in, in Florida, which are coming over to Cork for a month in uh, the yeah. summer. So yeah. certainly I'll, I'll, I'll be busy and uh, I'm looking forward to... Uh, not to have to worry about talking to you in the morning or, or other people, but anyway, I'm joking, of course. <laughs> not, not having to look forward to being grilled when everything goes wrong with regards to travel and tourism. But right up to the top of the tree is CEO of the Irish Travel Agents Association. And of course, before that, uh, the one and only Dawson Travel. And we all have fond memories of Dawson Travel down through the years. It's still going and thriving, uh, but another family member, I think your son is running it now, is that right? My, my son Paul has taken over the man. Oh, hang on a second. Please don't tell me he's gone. Oh, bummer. That's a bummer. Just completely and utterly dropped on it. I hope I get him back ASAP because I'm interested in having a bit of a chat with him about the uh, the last 50 years. If I remember, and I was reading up the article and the lovely article in the Echo from Friday, um, Pat Dawson started originally in, I think, Joe Walsh Tours, JWT. Uh, and I think he might have done a spell then, if I remember what I was reading, uh, uh, with uh, with Aer Lingus before he went on and opened his own business, Dawson Travel, which he says now is being operated by his son. And of course, they did package holidays, obviously, but did a lot of different things besides package holidays and were very well known for putting together sports travel packages, um, particularly back in the day when, say, for instance, the Irish soccer team were really rocking and rolling and going to the Euros and heading off to different World Cups and what have you. And you could buy tickets and flights and hotel accommodation and everything, whether it was to Italy or whether it was to the United States and stuff like that. Uh, so he had a very long and illustrious career. And i uh, love to hear uh, the highs and lows of it down through the decades. But apparently um, not, avail- not available at the moment. I'm just not managing to... Uh, Reconnect with Pat Dawson, so hopefully I'll come back to that a little later on this morning. We're cut off in our prime, actually. Thank you. Modern technology is there to be used and abused, and sometimes it'll let you down, but I think I'm back online again. Pat, don't know what happened there, but uh, welcome back. I was just I, I just did a little bit of a scene set there. You started in JWT, didn't you? That would have been the early 70s. Yeah, I started in JWT and uh, walked through the different... Uh, the different uh, departments there, and then uh, uh, I was assigned to open up the the office uh, long ago in, in Patrick Street, and and then we started to um, uh, we started to run run charters out of there, and um, then I set up Berlingus Holidays to, um, to 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 sort of go in opposition to JWT, and that started. But uh, the, the overall company, Berlingus Holidays, was closed down by the parent company, Berlingus. Yeah. And uh, then, then Dawson Travel kicked, so, kicked off and is still there today. So when did Irish people start going to the likes of Spain and the Canaries and Portugal and places like that? The start, I suppose Joe Watch Tours was the, 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 the godfather of, of, of that industry. And I mean, the big resorts those days was the likes of Benidorm was a huge resort in, in Mallorca. And the expansion, uh, you know, to now is just incredible. And, and that landscape has changed tremendously. 
and uh, particularly with the low-cost carriers. I mean, people going away, Neil, and you remember this, like it was all a package holiday, so you you bought from Joe Walsh Tours, Blue Skies, and the great budget travel, um, Gillian Bowler, who was, who was sort of a legend. And, uh, you know, that's what you bought. You bought a ticket, you bought a bed, you bought a transfer, and uh, that's the only way you got away. So the package was made for you. Now we you went in. Carrier. You went in, and you got the brochure, didn't you? The big glossy yeah. brochure. You took it home, and you looked at the pictures. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, and then and uh, and a lot of people probably, you know, didn't want to tell their parents they were going away on holidays or whatever else, and and you know, all the honeymoon couples. Uh, they, they would come into the offices, and it was more. Everyone went to a, a sort of a, a travel office. Uh, on the high street and now that's 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 a disappeared big time totally. around the country yeah, and such yeah, yeah. and um, well, was it I Freddie mean, Laker cost- started it with the cheap flights and he wasn't that he, the he did yeah he, he started in in out of the UK to the to the USA and you know that was the the, the first uh, the first sort of he, he was an institution and you know, there were low cost and ran up against the big carriers the, the American airlines and the British Airways and certainly he wants to he, he was the guy who flew the first flag for package holidays. And all of a sudden it opened up international destinations to sun holidays because before that it would be West Cork or it would be Yall or it would be Banna Beach or up to Salt Hill or places like that, right? Yeah, or you went on the boat over to the UK or, or to visit uh, family and friends or whatever else and you certainly, you, you know, you certainly... Uh, like Cork Airport now, which has grown uh, greatly. I mean, you certainly wouldn't have thirty or forty, you know, charters a week yeah. to, to, to different parts yeah. of of of, yeah. of Europe. And do you recall when Ryanair came along first, for instance? Because I remember I do, yeah. they actually I, had I, physical I, offices. Remember, they had an office on Winthrop Street at one stage. Yeah, they had. Yeah, I do, I do, I do indeed. I'm, I'm trying to think of, of of the lady who fronted that up. I certainly do indeed. And by the way. A lot of people might know this, but the government saved Ryanair from going bust because Erlingus was on a Dublin Stansted route and uh, Michael O'Leary had, had oh no, it was Michael at the time, uh, it was um, Ryan's first name, I think he passed since, but um, he went to Erlingus and said, look, if we have this, or, or went to the government and said, well, we want to start, we're on this uh, Stansted route and it's not doing so well, uh, would you take our lingus off it? Because uh, the government ran their lingus at the time, and, and they took um, our lingus off the route, and they protected Ryanair. You, you wouldn't be able to do it today. But that was Tony Ryan, they're telling uh, me, yeah. yeah. T- correct, yeah. Uh, correct, yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's amazing, uh, you know... Do you think how, it would work back then, taking on Aer Lingus? Do you recall what you thought about the arrival of Ryanair? Not, not really, because we, we were sort of, you know, t- thinking of ourselves and, and, and the charter business. Now, you know, what it did do with the charter business, it, it at, at the time, in those glory days, there would have been about a million seats out of Ireland, charter seats. And now, I mean, the, 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 main, the main operator um, between TUI and, and maybe Top Flight and maybe one others, there, there are only about 200,000 seats. So, um, so the, the, the low-cost carriers, and Aer Lingus are a low-cost carrier as, as well, even mm. though looking at many of the prices in the summer, you, you know, I think that word, you have to think about it again, 
but certainly um, they, they've now dominated they've dominated uh, the low cost carriers the travel industry all over the world mm-hmm. but flight really opened the world to everybody didn't it because oh, absolutely. Like 40, uh, absolutely. 50 years ago it was a very exclusive few because prices were so you know I, I guess I'm not calling that a race to the bottom I think the service side of what the airlines give has been a race to the bottom though hasn't it well, it has in many ways, but but having said all of that, look at um, you know you you you're two and a half hours, three hours on the European flight. You know, uh, you know what do you want? Do you want a cup of tea or do you want a, an overpriced coffee or whatever else? I mean, nowadays people are, are used to it. I mean, uh, the thing that that, that it drives me crazy is that you don't have that sort of little little table in front of you to put your book or to put your glasses or your newspaper on, <laughs> and that's sort of. I think they've gone race to the bottom with the service they're, they're, they're giving as as such. But look at um, it, it's it it has given millions and millions of people an opportunity to to go abroad, not only once a year but two or three times a year, yeah. which many many people do now. Yeah. I often wonder about what goes on in the brain of a travel agent, you know, dealing with so many different customers, making sure that every single package is right and that all the boxes are ticked and the transfers are there and the hotel room is there. It must be an awful, but it must be not a nightmare, but an awful lot of headaches involved in that. Yeah, and um, you know the least little thing can turn it into a nightmare. And you know, you, you, a person is depending on you. You know, it might be a very special holiday. They're depending on you to get every element because if one element of 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 a holiday that you're going on, be it you know an anniversary, a honeymoon, or whatever else, and if one element uh, goes wrong. I mean, uh, the whole thing falls down. So it's a hell of a responsibility. And when it goes wrong, you're grasping there. And it's an awful True. stressful industry. Yeah, yeah, particularly when the operators go bust, right? I mean, you're 50 years at it. Dawson Travel survived those five decades. Never went bust. But others did, though, and people were left hanging there. Yeah, well, we nearly did with 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 the World Cup, as you remember. Sport and, um, yeah, but it, yeah. yeah, I'll talk yeah. about that if you want, because one of my endearing yeah. memories of you was you were so honourable about that. You you dug into your own finances and paid everybody back yourself. A, a lot a lot others others would have just folded up the tent. What what happened? Well, what happened was, I mean, it's hard to believe what happened, but uh, the war the, the war bonded over in in the UK Sportex. And the money went into a trust fund in the UK. And you won't believe this, uh, but what happened was Sportex uh, sent a note to the, to the trustees, which were Bar- Barclays Bank. And now you won't believe this, and your listeners won't believe it either. And they said that the Ireland and Italian match had been cancelled. And when they got the note of that, people obviously in Bar- Barclays didn't know anything about Ireland playing a match. And they thought it was kosher. And they refunded the money to to Sportex. Good God! This is the Italian. And, this is the it, USA '94 World Cup, right? Yeah, yeah. And they took the money. They took the money uh, out of the trust, which was uh, our money, stroke the client's money, and, and 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 that was that. And then, you know, we were sued in Cork, and Barclays brought over. And I remain. I remember looking in 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 the court. It was a very stressful time, uh, and they, they brought over sort of five senior lawyers and everything else. And of course, the judge, uh, the judge at the time got scared and, and wouldn't take him on. And he said, we were a great company and a lovely company and uh, to go to London and, and, and get your money back. But just to go to London to a high court was 
fifty or hundred thousand, which was a stupid thing to say, but that 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 was his his cop out of of not taking him on, yeah. and that. But look, the, the people were affected. I was over there. Well, in what it way were they very, affected? Very... Were people at the World Cup at this stage or going? Yes, to... they were. Yes, yes, they were. And uh, and you know the, the 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 Sportex people. I mean, in the hotel we were staying, we found two hundred and seventy one tickets. I remember the number well in a plastic bag that they threw over the counter and left them there. So they just scrambled and left us there. And, uh, were the hotel beds to, paid for and everything? They were, yeah, they were, they were paid for, but we, we had to get tickets. And, uh, I mean, I have to say, AIB were very good to us. And, uh, the, you know, we got a 30 or 40K loan at the time, and that was that was huge money. And, you know, they, they looked after as well to, to give them credit. And... Um, uh, we got through it, but um, these are ups and downs, you know. Um, you had to repay all of that. Like, I mean, this was yeah. Well, I mean, uh, you know, we were we were we were fined in the court and everything else because you know the law is is the law. But I mean, we could have got we could have got an awful amount of money back if we had the money to go to the high court in London, which of course we didn't. And yeah. the Whigs in in the court knew that as well. Well, was that the low point then in the fifty years? Would you say? Yeah, it, it certainly was, and and now many many people that were on that trip enjoyed themselves, and I was with them, and I went to matches with them, and so forth and so on. I mean, I had to scramble a plane to to fly. I I think it was from New York down to Orlando because we were playing. I think it was Mexico in 100 degrees. I remember it well, and that. So all it was, it was um, very stressful on on my family and uh, yeah. everything. It was yeah. a horrible time. Yeah. But then we had good times, and we had. You know, we had, uh, you know, Man United winning the European Cup. And there were packages uh, to all that as well, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah. And, and what You would hire the plane, me, right? Yeah, yeah, we, we, we were the first and, and the only ones that had a 747. And that was the Munster Rugby, which was fantastic. And the Munster Rugby people were fantastic to us and supported us. But the problem now is that, that those special events now the the, the Ryanairs are their linguists of this world will stick on do it, four yeah, or five yeah. planes and and that so it, it's it's not as lucrative as it, it was but, ideal but people, for the time yeah 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 yeah, yeah 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 but if people want if people want you know someone to look after you and pick you up and take you to your hotel and and mind you for the for, for you know uh, mind you for the for the couple of days. And and you want that high end service? Well, then you know the travel agent. The travel agent um, will, will will give that. And if you want to do your own thing, you book your seat, uh, get a taxi or bus to, uh, from the airport, uh, do your hotel on Booking dot com or whatever you want to do. Well, that's that's what you want to do. But if you want to be looked after and and a good service yeah. in mind it. Yeah. and of course your money protected yeah, bonded, which is very very yeah, important yeah. as you know yeah. and well you use a, a, a licensed travel agent I have to ask you with regards to one particular story that Honest Keith was telling us on the air some weeks ago I don't know whether you remember it but your name came up in conversation he said it was the Malta game the Ireland away game to Malta in September of 1999 I believe it was a qualifier for the Euro 2000s Mm-hmm. And he, he rocked up there, dropping somebody off to the airport um, and decided, his dad said, why don't you come with us? So you squared away a ticket for Keith, but he also was potless. He had no money. He says you also gave him, I don't know, the figure 250 pounds was mentioned at the time. Um, do you recall the story and did he ever pay you back? 
Neil, truthfully, I, I, I don't. I heard that somebody told me it was on, on your show. Uh, now, it's, 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 it's a likely thing. Now, it's a likely thing that I did. I did give him the seat. If there was an empty seat, Daryl, I, I, you know, I would do something like that. And I have done that before. But now, whether I gave him 200 pounds or euros at the time, but I remember being at Malta. I remember being at the match. And I think we scraped it. He says you did give like him that. a... You, he says did he bunged you a few hundred. You bunged him a few hundred. Yeah. Well, he probably had an honest look on him and an honest face, so he probably did give it back to me, but I don't recall to be truthful with you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, the stories you get from Cork people. Yeah. Where, where was the nicest place you ever travelled to? Whether, you know, for, particularly for a holiday, what was your favourite destination? Well, I, I've advised towards Spain, and I, I think, I, 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 I think uh, you know, northern Spain, and I, I, I think, you know, when, when Munster played up in... Uh, up in um, in in uh, in San Sebastian, and uh, there was ten thousand monster people up there, uh, and that uh, we played. I think it was Paris. We played in a semi final or whatever else. In fact, the story you tell about it, Neil, about the story about stressful thing that same weekend, and, and you will recall this that the ash cloud was about to, to, to descend oh, on Europe, yeah. and we had we had two aircraft, and if we didn't get them out at such a time uh, after the match, whatever time that was, they would have been stranded there and God knows what would have happened. So that will just tell you the peril of, of, of our industry. But yeah. that part of Spain yeah. and uh, Northern, Northern Spain, Spain really then, is it? Yeah, yeah, Northern Spain. And the beauty of it is, it reminds, like, it's, it's Connemara in the sun, really. And have, the, like, have you done food, a Camino walk along there, for instance? I have, yeah, I have indeed, yeah, I have. I've and, done and, that too. It is spectacular. The people are lovely and the food is awesome. Yeah, and you stay in, you know, you stay in sort of, you sleep on boards or whatever else, you know. Uh, I didn't do any fancy oh, you, ones. You, you might have slept on a board. I slept on a mattress, thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I know it's, it's, it's fantastic and the people there and, and you know, it's still, it's, it's for nothing, uh, it, it, it's for nothing there. And, and I suppose, you know, prices in the Spains and, and Portugal and I, I play a bit of golf in my spare time as well with, with friends of mine and we go away whenever we can but um, it's it's lovely but you know um, the horses the, the, the for different courses and um, I, I love going to something where there is an event on I'm not somebody that sits around and would uh, I hear, around yeah I know I hear you that. like the Spanish wine that's the reason you're over there yeah, the yeah I do, I do. <laughs> hard to get hard to get good Spanish wine in Cork I can tell you that the old Faustino is it Pat the old Faustino I, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh no, Faustino, I wouldn't. I, I, I wouldn't. I'd put, pour it down the sink. But, uh, <laughs> personally, I would, even though they charge forty euros a bottle in restaurants around here. My father will be disappointed lovely... to hear that you're pouring bottles of Faustino down the sink. No, I wouldn't buy it to be truthful with you. But no, there's lovely wines, and and I, I just, I just very restricted. Uh, I had actually Neil a, a wine license, uh, you know, as a part time. Cork School Wines, it was called, and. Um, just for friends of mine to bring in some decent wines into Cork because um, the wines the Spanish wines they have in, I, I, I don't know who picks should, them but certainly you should uh, double up I, with I, Michael I Barry and start your own wine importation then uh, I, yeah, the yeah, king yeah, of I Cork travel meets the king of Cork wine yeah I think Michael <laughs> I, I think who was I was on the radio with, with uh, uh, some wine person or whatever else and he asked me did I like rosé wine I said I didn't 
But anyway, <laughs> but uh, no, that's something I have either side of the slide. So do you just, because uh, I could talk to you already, but just, do you think Cork Airport is getting a fair crack of the whip with regards to the DAA? Um, and will we ever get as much as we deserve, including Transatlantic? And I know Cork Airport is doing the best it can and it is thriving. We, you're right, we have more flights now than ever before. But is it enough? Well, you know, I mean, we have an issue with the runway and you can't, you know, the, as you know, the wars are... Uh, a flight to the States but you can't restrict you have the economics of it you can't restrict uh, the, airline, the aircraft was restricted by 20 or 30 empty seats and so forth economically that won't happen so I mean now I, I think with new aircraft coming along and uh, Neo jets coming along I, I think that there'll be a case of of of, of looking at Cork and, and, and getting it it's, it's a hard it's a hard route because I tell you you know, the main airliner on the transatlantic route are, are, as we call it, up the front of the bus. You know, and and, and that really is where the, the big money is. As such. But so is it just that, because of the length of the of the runway, or is it that they just know that there wouldn't be numbers to support it? Well, uh, it's probably a bit of a combination. Now, Shannon Airport, they certainly have developed uh, the state, but you, you have to have... The thing about it is you have to have inbound and outbound. So you have to have incoming tourism coming into Cork. And, and certainly, you know, many want to either go to the, the, the west of Ireland or, or, or to Dublin as such. So, you know, there's a bit of marketing to be done. But certainly, I, 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 I think uh, whether it happens in my lifetime or not, but, but certainly the, 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 there must be a viability on it, providing you can have a full aircraft, full payload, and you know, do, do one or two a week, and 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 certainly look at Conquer, but they're always up against it. And my worry is that, my worry is that you know, the, the bigger airlines get, the more demanding they'll do, and and they'll tell you what to do because airlines get airlines get big incentives from airports. I mean, I think uh, I, I I think I was talking to the. Uh, Cork Airport people a couple of years ago and I, I think they get to base an aircraft and, and the thing about it is basing an aircraft, that means that an aircraft is on the ground, it starts off in the morning at half past six and finishes at 11 o'clock and I think Ryanair may have three now on the ground and Erlingus have, have two but certainly Ryanair are developing are developing Cork but you, you pay a price for it and they're very demanding they are, yeah, and then if, the, I was, like if the I airlines, was them I'd be doing the same the airlines are running the, yeah I could um, kind of run ra- rapidly out of time here but somebody was telling me the 93% of traffic is coming into Dublin at the moment so there's nothing worse than having to come into Dublin and looking for your car at half 12 1 o'clock in the morning in Dublin and having to drive to Cork I mean they do seem to oh, have I, hey, I, I just I've, do, I've done it for so long I just I just can't abide by it and, and we, have to, we have to do it when we're going over to see Mark and Co. in in in, in Florida. I mean, and now you can go via. Um, I mean, via uh, the UK and 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 that. But anything you know, will be better than that. Yeah, yeah, anything. But look at in in time. But in fairness to Cork Airport, there there are great people there, and there's there's a young crew there, and I've taken over the marketing and sales. In fact, I have a busiest week of my life this week because we have we have Seville in, in town tonight. Uh, the tourist board because they have a new route starting off and we have a trade show tomorrow in Cork and we have a trade show in Dublin the following day and we have a on Friday then we have a, a, another dinner uh, we're launching in some other routes so Lots to and forward. this is one of my busiest weeks of my life so yeah. anyway okay. I'll rest up soon OK and enjoy the rest and whatever you do in the next chapter it's great to chat with you Pat congratulations on 50 years Thanks. may you have many more of them and thank you for all the, the time you get me to for people to listen. You were always yeah, available. You were always were available. You were never unavailable, even at short notice. And I thank you for that, Pat. Look after yourself.
God bless. Thank you. Take care. The great Pat Dawson. Text 0868104106. Back after 11. Hey, it's Dave. Join me weekdays from 4 for Dave Max Drive, where I'll help get you home or give you a little lift at home. Big hits, loads of fun features, and traffic info. What more could you need? Join me weekdays from 4. Dave Max Drive. The Neil Prenderville Show, Red FM. I'm going to just mention before quitting time today, five more pairs of tickets to see Moncrief live at Cypress Avenue, Wednesday, the 12th of April. Um, and this is a Red FM gig. And the only way you'll be able to go and join us is by winning tickets on air. Okay, so we'll open the phone lines again uh, just before midday today for five pairs of tickets to see Moncrief live at Cypress Avenue Wednesday the 12th of April. So hang in there for that. Keep your calls coming. Text 0868104106. Anne is standing by. Uh, an upsetting experience. Um, was it this morning, Anne? No, I'm just, you know, I was just listening because I'm at home today okay. from work. Yeah. And I was listening to, I think, more, you know, people just kind of, some people have um, fear, you know. Of, yeah. You know, some, we have so many people coming into the country. Yeah. Yeah. And this, no, was last year. And last it's still year. on my okay. mind. Okay. It hasn't gone it away. Was, I, th- I think it was, maybe there were asylum seekers staying in Porky Cueve. Okay. And, well, it was down there and it was the time of, um, um, you know, when the first Ukrainians came and about a month after, um, just I was, you know, meeting my, my, um, my partner is working down in, um, in Black Rock in that area. No, people love um, to just hang out down there and sit on the wall, have coffee and meet friends. Yeah, I know no, it wasn't. It was on the other end, the, um, the Porky Cueve end. There's another cafe, coffee there. And I just got a coffee and I was to meet him. And I was sitting on the bench and a group of these guys sat down on the bench next to me and started saying hello. And I thought, oh, they want to ask me a question. Or then if they started then going on more, oh, hello, hello, hello. You know, who are you? And they didn't say hello, just jeering at me and laughing. And um, yeah, I got, I kind of got a shock because I kind of looked around and there, there was no one around. And, and you were on your own, of course. You were waiting for somebody who hadn't arrived. Yeah, I was just on yet. my own. I just got a coffee, and I hadn't, I had, I hadn't even looked at them. You know. Yeah. I yeah. didn't notice them. They suddenly sat down on the two benches next to me. There was at least six of them. So I mean, I this was going on for a bit, and you know, kind of jeering, you know, and. Um, I'm, I'm slightly nervous now. It's so, but, whatever they were doing, you saying it was the hello, 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 and lots of jeering, but it made you nervous and uncomfortable. It made me very uncomfortable. So my partner came then up behind, and then they saw him, and he was kind of a bit frightened as well. So um, I got up and I said, "Look," and he said, "Come on, we move on." So they moved on as well, but they just went down about two be- benches down along, you know, as we walked down to Black Rock Village and started with another girl, another woman. Right. Now, it was okay. on my own. It was yeah. kind of in the morning and the weather wasn't good. And was she on and her own as well? She was on her own as well. So my point Did is... Did they sit like, down adjacent I, to her then as well? Yes. So my point is, and I mean, I we, we went away. I was kind of frightened. Oh, my point is that, you know, it, it, women, I suppose, see these groups of, you know, of, of the people that come in, we're more wary because... I just found I haven't gone, I haven't done the marina walk since since then. Isn't that a shame that you are so alert to this? You just don't go there anymore. Yeah, I can remember two of their faces very well. Now they did nothing. They probably they probably didn't mean anything. They were probably just I'd say you know they've come there. They had nothing to do. But what's but the jeering about though? I mean that's well, I in just, a different I, that's I, a different I, level to saying hello. 
Six, oh, six young men, were, one woman. Like, incidentally, well, they, Kelly, uh, they Kelly just... They weren't young men. Oh, they weren't young men. I would say they, they were mid-30s to mid-40s. Kelly just... Kelly just texted us, I can't come on air, but it's like listening to my own story. Same thing happened to me down by the marina. I found it very intimidating. Someone else did as well. Kelly, yeah. yeah. Kelly just texted to say that, listening to you right now. So, um, no, I'm just saying that because, like, I'm not racist. I've, I've worked abroad. I have, you know, I'd be the first person to help people. Okay. Yeah. Um, I've, you know, I've worked with people from Ukraine. Shame I've worked, that happened. Yeah. But I'm just saying... It's okay to check people if they're coming where they when they're coming to the country. Yeah. I have no problem with that because, you know, I think I'm more alert now because of that. Mm, okay, and I haven't gone walking down there. That's a shame saying, that you haven't gone back there. It's a shame. No, and I'm just saying I'm not racist. Far from it. And yeah. I do think you know we need people to come in to take up jobs. But on the other hand, we have to have a bit of balance and to make sure you know people, you know, that we haven't criminals coming into the country. Now, yeah. these could have been the nicest guys ever. Well, what they did wasn't nice and they probably... No, you know, it doesn't sound nice to me. Not if you were so intimidated that you won't go back there were frightened when you were there. No. Okay. But these, you know, I just, okay. that was my point. That thank it's okay so to, be, to be wary. Yeah. Okay, thanks, Absolutely. Steve. Thank Good you. And it's not an easy thing to come on air, so I do appreciate it. Thank you, Anne. Back after the break, text 0868104106. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818104106. Cork's Red FM. Busy again this morning. Lots and lots of texts, but I will come back to them. I promise you, these are ongoing storylines. But get yourself a cup of tea, put on the kettle, have a cup of coffee, have a listen to this conversation. One of the members of the men's shed you heard on that audio from Breda before 11 o'clock is a man by the name of Noel Dunn. Uh, Noel has lived a fascinating life at the heart of Ireland's criminal activity as a prison officer in both Mountjoy, Port Leash, Cork Prison, Spike and places like that. Uh, I, I was fascinated by his life story. I got to chat with him about his career as a prison officer the back end of last week and uh, this is his conversation. I hope you enjoy it if you've got the, the tea or the coffee make, made. Have a have a listen to the life and times of uh, uh, Noel um, Dunn. Uh, I began the conversation with him actually talking about uh, well I suppose the basic question is what was the beginning? Where did it all start? First went into uh, Mount Joy. We did our seven weeks sort of on the job training and then uh, I was about 15 uh, joined uh, around that time and then we were all allocated various uh, prisons and institutions. Yeah. Some went to Port Lee, some went to Mount Joy uh, and uh, myself and uh, two others went into uh, St. Patrick's Institution for young offenders. It wasn't much training, was it? You talk about a matter of weeks of training. God, it seems very short. <laughs> yeah, you learn very quick. I know, but... So, you, you know... You, well, it's all, it's all changed now. Totally. There's an academy there now. Oh, like, totally, you know. yeah, but, yeah. But, but, but at that time, you, so you were, um, you were uh, just uh, detailed in, uh, in the first day uh, into uh, on some duty. And uh, i just give you a funny instance. We were told on the, on the first morning that we salute uh, the governor. We salute uh, the doctor. And we would salute the the, um, the chaplain. There were only three people we salute. Yeah, uh, you know, if you meet them during the course of your duty. Mm-hmm. So on my fir- on my first morning, I was uh, in on the B one, the remand the remand wing, and uh, I just stood <clears throat> with me back to the wall as the senior officer went along and opened up uh, all the doors, and um, prisoners came out then to get their 
for breakfast. Mm. And at that time, they come up and uh, they collect their breakfast up at the top table and they go back and they have the breakfast inside in their cell. And uh, I saw this man coming up. Oh, I said to myself, the chaplain's in there and he must be getting uh, must be getting, getting uh, breakfast for a prisoner. But this man came out and he was just not as a chaplain, but as a bishop. <laughs> so I stood to attention and I gave a great salute. And he had his tray in front of him and he nodded, accepted the salute and went back and collected the breakfast and went down to his cell, into the cell. And the officer then closed the door. And I said, well, are, you, are you leaving the, the chaplain inside? That's not a chaplain, that's a con man. <laughs> he was a con man, like you know. So I was, I was duped the first, to my first day. But, a con, uh, a con man dressed as a bishop, is this? As, as a bishop, yeah. He, um, I, I don't know whether I can say his name. But he, I don't know if he's alive now. But um, he had this habit of. Uh, he was an Englishman. He, he had this habit at, the, at that time of um, bringing um, dearly departed remains from England in a coffin. Dublin. Oh my God! But he, he was he was he was smuggling stuff like you know drugs and contraband. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but it, it wasn't so much it wasn't much um, drugs at that time. Like you know, as a, it wasn't a, a big drug scene at that particular time. But it did eventually after it. But we are. But to, no, was, yeah, but we we are yeah. talking about the early 1970s, and this would have been. I mean, the troubles would have been very bad in the early 70s on both sides of, of the border, and. You would have had, I guess you'd have had H-Block, um, you know, Longkesh or the Maze, north of the border, and you would have had Republican prisoners south of the border. Would, would you would you have seen any of that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, around the 70, 72, 70, uh, yeah, the late 71, 72, uh, you know, sort of spilt over from the north and there was a lot of... Uh, a lot of activity uh, on on the border on both sides of the border. What happened was that um, they had to move uh, a wing of prisoners uh, out of A section Mountjoy to uh, house the Republican prisoners. Yeah. But in seventy three, it was around November seventy three, uh, there was a riot in Mountjoy, a uh, fairly uh, fairly bad one at that time. Well. We weren't used to that many rides, but uh, weren't there hostages involved in that? It didn't provisional no, IRA no, prison. No, 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 not 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 at that, not there, not that time. Uh, and later rides in Portlaoise that happened all right. Right. But uh, all the damage they did, fierce damage in the in in, in the wing. So uh, the government and the department they had to find some place for uh, for uh, to house them. So Portlaoise prison at that time was uh, always known as a convict prison. You know, uh, people, at that time people were sentenced to prison for penal servitude. Yeah. The term. Yeah. And, uh, so, there wasn't a lot there at that time. So, it, it was, it was easier to move them out of there to other prisons. So, what is, they opened up the old military barracks detention centre here in Cork and uh, the family just took it over and um, they transferred um, prisoners from Port Leaf to there and there were sort of prisoners transferred to uh, Limerick. And then the, the, the provisional IRA and prisons. And then the provisions then were, 
they were all sent down to Port Leash. Port Leash, yeah. Port yeah, Leash, yeah. Yeah, um, I just, so, um, yeah, so yeah. in the in the in the early days, say when when you started out and for the first few years, what kind of prisoners were you looking after? Were they from all walks of life for all different crimes? All all walks of life, uh, yeah. All, um, listen, every sort of a crime committed, mm. you know. My, I, I wasn't too long in the job. I think it was only about uh, two or three weeks when I was detailed to go to uh, the Central Criminal Court um, to bring a prisoner with a, another senior officer. I was handcuffed up. It was a murder trial. There was a young girl in a, uh, killed by this elderly man in a place called Conroach in County Wexford. Mm. And that was my first real introduction into um, the, the justice system, so to speak. Like, you know, mm. sitting there for a couple of hours, handcuffed, to, listening to evidence that's going on that this man is alleged to have done. Like, you know, mm. and uh, that trial went on for a couple of weeks. Would you have to keep your distance from prisoners or would you, over the years, did you get to know them, try to understand them? Did you strike up relationships with any of them? No, no, no yeah. Listen, uh, on a very rare occasion, you know, with a, with a normal prisoner, uh, I'll tell you, when I, I spent my last seven years in Spike Island and, and they were dealing with uh, young lads, yeah. you know, young juveniles, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there were there a few of them who when I first joined the job, their fathers, if you know what I mean. So it was uh, like a family tradition, father and son. Oh my God. I, I locked their fathers up in, uh, in in the early years, like, you know, that, that, and that was sad, like, you know. But you know, when, in, say, in, in, when you were in, in Port Leash, and of course you would have had um, a maximum security prison, Republican prisoners transferred in there. Um, W- would they also have their own chain of command within within the prison? Say the the Republican prisoners. Did they control l- law and order amongst prisoners? Yeah, they had their own command structure. They had uh, what we call the the OC. They were appointed every maybe two or three years. All depends on the length of, uh, of their sentence. There, there would be uh, the OC and his deputy. And each landing, each landing would have their OCs. So at that time, they kept control of of what the prisoners were doing. Yeah. We were just there; it was containment as far as we were concerned. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. And the, the army, the army was on the roof and uh, in the, around the perimeter, and um, we were just there, uh, just con- uh, containment, like you know, to contain and them to prevent the, to prevent breakouts or, or what have you. Breakout, yeah, yeah. 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 Now. If a prisoner is requesting something to see uh, the governor or the doctor or or whatever, like, you know, he would get onto his uh, OC and the OC then would come to the, the class officer or the senior officer that would be on the landing. That's the only communication you have with them. Yeah. The Sounds old, as if the there was an the element of respect then from both sides to each other, was there? Well, well they didn't recognize <laughs> Basically, they didn't recognise it. Like, you know, they knew we were, just, we, we were there just plebs, you know. So they would just deal with the, the senior man, like, you know. Yeah, the officer in command yeah, of the, the Republican the, uh, the wing. officer in charge. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 So all all through that you were working, you were holding down the job. Were you were you married? Did you settle down, rear a family through all of those 30 years? Yeah, I was, when I got I got married, I was... I was I came down I came to Cork when when they opened the prison then uh, in in Cork 
I was transferred down the, uh, to Cork. And uh, I got married in 1974. And um, I went back up to Portage in uh, 75, mm. on the 25th of July, 75. And then, of course, so, there, was a, there was a period in your career... And I was looking at the statistics since the formation of the state. 89 members of Angarda Shikana were killed while on active duty. I'd be curious to know about the number of prison officers that were killed on active duty. I think it's somewhere between 25 and 30. Would you agree with me along those lines? Uh, possibly in the north. Well, here in the south, there was only uh, only the one. Okay, well, one, um, one in the uh, Republic uh, and the others north well, of the border. Yeah. Okay, well, thank you for well, that. Of, yeah. But but yeah. certainly the, the, the killing of some Gardaí was while you were as a prison officer. Um, and indeed, I think there were occasions when you were back and forth to court with one of those who'd been charged. Is that right? I was listening to uh, your programme one, one time and you were interviewing uh, um, a man by the name of Peter Pringle, that's right. That would have been about tw- maybe twelve years ago. That kind of thing. What have you? What have been there? Yeah, you know. He's died. He died since, but he 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 died, he died there on New Year's Eve gone by, like you know. Yeah, and and you heard me chatting to him about. Um, yeah, he was on he was on death row, I believe, wasn't he? That's that's right. I I was one of the first officers that uh, committed him in, into uh, no the war on remand. And they were going up to the court. They were in the main uh, body of, of the prison, and they were going up to court every, every day. But when they were um, when they were sentenced to death, their, their status changed. They were then condemned men. Could so I just when, say at this stage yeah. that was for the yeah. killing of Detective John Morley and Officer Henry and, Byrne in County Roscommon? It was following a bank that's robbery. Right, yeah. yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah that, sorry about that. No, right. yeah, no, no problem. But and they, um, when they came back to the to the prison from court. They were uh, then escorted uh, into what we called the condemned cells. All so three of those men were found guilty of capital murder and sentenced murder, in yeah. 1980 to death by hanging. Hanging, yeah. The hanging was the, the day it was given as the 19th of December, 1981. That was that was the the day they were going to uh, be hung. And why why I mentioned that there. The nineteenth of December is my birthday. Go away, go away. So this bring me back. This bring me back to what Peter Pringle was saying to you on, on, on the night. There has to be by law when you're condemned, you have to be escorted by two prison officers twenty four seven. We were sitting beside him when he was in bed, myself and another officer, and then there were two other officers beside the other uh, condemned man, and there was three of them all together. So there was. Six officers and uh, three condemned prisoners uh, in, in, in the one condemned cell. Now, the death penalty was abolished in the 1960s, and the hanghouse is still still there in Mount I think it's just uh, more of a museum now. But at that time, they started to paint it. But in the olden days, there was no there was no appeals. A person was condemned to death, and there might be two or three days of a gap before he be executed. Mm, mm. And the two the two wardens as they were known at that time that were with him on the last day would escort him to the to the gallows until the deed was done and those two wardens would take the body and bury it in the grounds of the prison. That's yeah, the way it was right. done that time. Yeah. Yeah. So if if it, the death penalty was abolished in the <coughs> sorry, in the nineteen sixties, around 
1964, around that area in mid-60s. But it was kept on the statute books for the, the murder of the members of the diplomatic corps, prison officers and guardy. It was kept on the statute books until... And then a referendum some yeah. years later said that it can never be brought back without but another referendum. Yeah, 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 yeah. But in the world you were living in the yeah. 1980s, these three men would have believed, including Peter Pringle, that they were going to be hanged. What did you hear him say to me on the air, incidentally? We were discussing where it was going to put the hangout. And I, 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 I know I said to my colleague, well, sure, they'll have to build one somewhere. You know, and I said, and what's on the 19th? That's my birthday. Will I be off or will I be on? But he did, he did report me, like, you know, to the senior officer. He made a complaint. Because so he, he had heard you talking about he heard, he heard, where he, heard, he was going to yeah. be hanged, when he was going to be hanged. And, and, hanged, yeah, and yeah. were you shocked when you heard him on the air to realise that he was talking about you? No, I'll tell you, I mean, I'm quite honest with you. I mean, I'm delighted to hear the, the conversation, like, you know. Yeah. But, um... But when he, when he he did mention that, and I, and I, I got to the wife, this is like talking about me. Yeah, it and was. I, I was going to I was, I was going to ring you <laughs> and tell you I'm I'm the man that he's talking about, like you know. And, and I was going when I was talking, yeah. Yeah, but what's amazing yeah. is that Peter Pringle's execution date came and went because those sentences were commuted, weren't they, by the president at the, the time? The, the war, um, <clears throat> uh, the lodged an appeal. Uh, Two of them lodged an appeal. The third man didn't, but an appeal was lodged on his behalf. And uh, I think it was uh, Dr. Hillary that, that commuted to, <coughs> to uh, 40 years. And the only reason that I was talking to Peter Pringle was subsequent to all of that then, um, his uh, conviction was deemed unsatisfactory and uh, was overturned. It was overturned, yeah. That was in, uh, I think it was in 95. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, around that uh, he spent fifteen years. Yeah, they deemed it uh, unsafe. Isn't that and, amazing? Um, yeah. yeah, you know, so uh, he ke- he he kept appealing it and uh, for different issues, and eventually, the sad thing about it was that he was the son of a garden. Mm. You know, the, the, mm. you know, but look, that was that was just at the time. No, and, I remember that. I yeah. remember that like as if mm. it was yesterday, having been reminded by your good self, because he then mm. went on to marry Sonny Jacobs. Who was That's she right, was also yeah. on death row in seventy six in Florida for murder, murdering <laughs> two police officers and she served seventeen years and she was exonerated and, and still says to this day that Peter Pringle was a lovely man, a very kind man and an innocent man. Now you can take what you will from yeah, that. Yeah. You know, you know. As far as I was concerned, you know, I I, I, I know if you one way or the other, we just had a warrant to to hold him and that was our job, like, you know. But thankfully and thankfully that is there was there's no hanging, like you know. Do people change though once a sentence of death is passed upon them? Did you notice any difference in either those individuals or indeed regarding the those that were sentenced to death for mm-hmm. Detective Garda Frank Hand, who was shot in eighty four? Is there a difference in their demeanour afterwards? Before I get to that, no, it's just at the time that the the war in the condemned cells, uh, Peter and the, the other two. There was an, an, an what would you call it, an eeriness uh, about the place. Like it was very quiet. There was never that much of a conversation between them, and certainly not uh, with us anyway. But even between themselves, between them, there was very very little conversation. And I, I remember on New Year's Eve, I did night duty with them on New Year's Eve, uh, eighty one, and uh, 
we had to escort uh, one of them to the to the, to the bathroom, mm. and it was, it was coming up to midnight, and I just uh, turned to Pat McCann. I said, "Pat, what sort? Happy New Year to you." Yeah. No officer, it can't be any worse than last year. Yeah. You know, yeah. that was and that was that was the only conversation we had as such. But when yeah. they were coming, uh, when when the the census commuted the forty years, and then they went back into the main uh, population uh, within their the section that they were in. Fascinating conversation with the retired prison officer Noel Dunn, and we'll pick up on part two of that chat after the break. The Neil Brenderville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday, 0818-104-106. Back to my conversation. I caught up last week with Noel Dunn, the retired prison officer, and before the break we were talking about his times when he was responsible for men on death row in Port Leash Prison. Back to that conversation. We were there to protect them, to look after them protect from others, but, exactly. also, but also from themselves. They were condemned men. The, the saying at that time was the reason why there's two no I don't have to pull up but the reason that there's two wardens with, with them is that they stopped them from treating the hangman the hangman yeah oh my god almighty you know, it's an incredible thing them being, you know yeah yeah, uh, yeah. He, he got he got his 21 guineas every time he came over to but you did, you did bring um, and were attached to uh, a defendant going to trial, and then subsequently for sentencing, um, where the death penalty was handed down, weren't you? weren't you? You were part of that. Yeah, there was. Yeah, there was um, back in and um, eighty four. Ten eighty four, the tenth of August, they got a Frank hand. He was uh, escorting a male van, and um, he, he was shot. He was shot dead. And uh, subsequently, there was uh, five uh, people uh, arrested and charged. Their trial went on for a couple of weeks, and they were, I was there on the, the last day. And um, when we're in the dock, and if you can just imagine, uh, pic- just picture the dock. You have the three judges down in front of you. We're, the dock is raised up uh, over the body of the court. You have the three judges. Justice Hamilton, I can't think of who the other two judges were at the time, but Liam, Liam Hamilton was the, the president of the of the court, and um, and the judge uh, he dressed each prisoner individually, and you had to stand up. And when it came to my man, the two of us stood up, mm. and um, the judge Hamilton called uh, out his name, said, "It's the verdict of this court." that uh, he'd been found guilty of the capital murder of Garda Frank Hand. And he, he turned to me. Now, all, all, you can see all the barristers, the senior counsels, and they're all looking back up the dock. And it took more out of me than I did out of him. I, I was actually sweating. He turned to me and said, what time is it? So I just turned my wrist, looked down, and it was, I think it was... Uh, Three, three, twelve, or something like that. It was shortly after three o'clock, and um, he went through the motion with the rest of them. And then, after a couple of moments, did they put on the black he, cap? Yeah, they put on. It's not. It's sort of like a metallic. You know what okay. the ladies used to wear with the mask. Oh, it's top of the head. Yeah, yeah. On top of the head, and then he called them again, and we stood up, and he said, "It's the sentence of this court." That you and he named him that you be taken 
from this place to the prison from where you came, and there on I, I now I can't remember the date that you be hung till, till you're dead. And he turned to me again. He said, "What time is it?" And oh. I think at this stage it was three thirty-seven or something like that. You know. Well, what was that about? Well, I don't. I don't know. He was just recording for himself the time that he was found guilty and the time that uh, he was actually sentenced to death. Go but at this stage, I was, at this stage, I was shaken. My God! I felt, I felt like that. I was. I was. I was being sentenced. I took. I took a horse to him. I know. I know. You know. Yeah. You know. You know. But we came back then to the to the jail and back into the uh, condemned cell again. Like, you know. And thankfully, again, that was commuted. As and well, you, like, you, you, know? you you say thankfully because you're not a believer in the death penalty, are you? Not having that career that you had. No, God, no, 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 no. There's only one man who uh, take your life, you know, that's yeah. the man of all. Yeah. That, that's my yeah. belief, and, and, and that's it, like, yeah. you know. Was it very... Uh, more, more, more than, uh, yeah. Uh, like, would you say a life in prison, a life is a life, as in spend your life in prison, as opposed to taking a life in prison, is it? Well, look, at the end of the day, you have only get out sometime. You know, you, you have to get out. I always believe that no matter what sentence you get, there's always light at the end of the tunnel. That's, that, that was my belief, but, you know. Yeah, I suppose we live now in 2023 yeah, when yeah. people yeah, believe people. that there's not enough people going to jail and when they do, the sentences aren't long enough, you know? That's the that's the problem now, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Now, we, we had a case now last week where another man had been sentenced, uh, well, had been convicted of uh, killing Garda. Colin Horgan. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. But you, but you know, over all, all of those years, I mean, w- there must have been very difficult times. For instance, um, I was just thinking about maybe when when families would come to visit prisoners. That must have been very upsetting to to watch and observe that the interaction between family members or or children children coming to see parents in jail. Was that the case? Yeah. Yeah. I, I I'll tell you. Going back to the chap now that I was hanged up to when they got back into the main. Uh, prison like you know after the uh, commuters uh, I had to I was in, uh, in on visits and I had to bring him over to, to the visit box he was getting a visit and as it happened it was his wife and uh, three daughters very young I'd say were they? oh they were uh, they, oh God, they were only I'd say seven nine and, and, and you know that, around that age group like you know and did and, they know um, that their daddy had been condemned to death? no no, because he before they came in, he turned to me and he said, "Officer, would you give me your cap?" So they'll think I'm working in the post office. Could you give him your cap, though? No, God, no. 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 Oh my God, no! I should. I'd have been sacked on this spot. Go away. You you probably, would you have uh, liked to have been able to give him your cap, though? Uh, no. 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 God, uh, no. No. But. Uh, that particular incident, uh, it made me change um, the course of my life. How? I mean, I had three daughters around the same age, you know, and I, some, for some time after that, it was, it was that particular incident, it was the only time in my 30 years that uh, it, it, it got to me. And I said, yeah. you know, and, and I said, no, I have to go somewhere where I can, I, I can do good, like, you know, so yeah. I look for a transfer back to Cork, like you know, there was a good education and uh, work uh, training uh, scheme coming in into the prisons for the prisoners, 
and uh, that's that's what I did. I became an industrial supervisor. Well, you were dealing you know? with very hardened criminals for the worst types of yeah. crime up until then, and and I would imagine yeah, that yeah. for prison officers, it would, you know, a life in the prison service possibly could impact on your mental health and could lead to depression and all sorts of stuff like that, wouldn't you think? There was some colleague that um, you know that took the drink and uh, yeah. But um, also, I just like to mention that uh, you know, of all the people that was killed, there was there was two people that uh, one in the guard, Michael Clerken, I knew very very well. He was blown up uh, in a house outside uh, my own home place in, in Maumelic, place called Gary Hinch. There was uh, five guardy lured to a trap, and a bomb went off, and he was killed. And uh, the other guardy were. Uh, Severely injured, mm. and and of course, uh, a colleague and a good friend of mine, uh, Brian Stack, was murdered as well. Like you know, so that took that took a toll on me as well. Like you know. But could I ask you know when when you talk of crimes like that and killings like that, would there be any kind of section in the day working within the prison service who would be very angry about that and and perhaps take it out in a brutal fashion against prisoners? No, 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 that 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 would that would never that would never happen. No, no, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. no, not looking, not not in my time. And I, I go so far to say, like, okay, police it was a, it was a tough regime. It had had to be, you know, you know, half from police, but in the other prisons, then the the main goal was uh, to rehabilitate and. Uh, provide training for, for prisoners. And know? did you have much and success with that in Cork? I mean, or did you find that there were residual, a lot of them, that would go out and be back in again, or what? Education in the school is fabulous. Fantastic. And especially in Spike, there was a great setup with the, all the youngsters that wanted to go to, to school. Yeah. They wanted to go to the art classes. They wanted to go to the music classes. But were you, in, were you on Spike for the riot in 85? Funny enough, I was transferred that day. I got to Cork that that uh, afternoon. I met up with a few friends and uh, the offer had a few pints. Yeah. And I, I was I was staying with uh, my brother-in-law, who happened to be a guarder. In the middle of the night, I could hear a phone ringing, but I didn't know where it was. It was in a strange house. They were trying to contact them to. Um, they were trying to get the guardy to head to. Uh, to, uh, to spike, because like, yeah, they were up on the roof yeah. and they were burning parts they were of the, the prison. Ah, uh, they were they were burning left, right, and centre. Like you know, yeah. but I did spend I did spend uh, the following day over in the hospital. There was a couple of uh, uh, prisoners that uh, they had broken into the surgery and they had uh, taken some uh, medicine and they were out for the count of it. And they had to go to the hospital and I had to go over and. Um, Hmm. Sit beside them We don't we don't have a spike island now for juvenile offenders anymore. Is that a bad thing? Do you think that made a difference? Could we do with it now? We could we could do with it now. But would you have come across any would you have come across any crime gangs or notorious prisoners? We hear of crime gangs and syndicates now and Irish mafias. Did you deal with any of them back in the day? Gangs and criminal families like that? I remember one time in uh, in um, Mount Joy or in St. Patrick's, I dealt with a fellow by the name of Hutch. Hutch, yeah, yeah. Hutch. Yeah. Now, he, he'd been only about um, 15, 16 at the time now. Now, I don't know whether it's the current 
Hutch man that's uh, on trial as in Jerry Hutch you don't uh, know was it another Jerry Hutch, Hutch. Yeah. I don't know if it was him or it could have could have been, could have been Eddie's brother or it could be might even be relations at all yeah. but it's just uh, the, the name you know yeah. and of course of course uh, my own name done um, <laughs> the, the Bronco done in, uh, in in Dublin and the, they brought in heroin into Ireland like, you know but thankfully, we're not related. <laughs> but you know what I mean. We're, but were you, ever, uh, were, you ever, were you ever threatened, though, or were you ever in fear for your family on the outside, you know, when you're off duty kind of thing? No, I was never threatened. I got a beating, all right. Oh, no. Uh, was, yeah. Uh, in St. Patrick's. Uh, what happened was, I was assisting the, the senior officer down in the woodyard. And um, we had about... 30 young fellas you know and to be chopping wood and that like you know they'd have a break you, at that time you could have two cigarettes a day the, uh, the senior officer would uh, say after about half an hour hey lads have a smoke and they, they take they'd have their cigarette and they might share a cigarette between three or four mm, mm. but whatever happened these two fellas started fighting so senior officer went in and pulled him apart and he called me he said here bring them up to the chief so one lad up so they walked up in front of me went into the into the chief and uh, the chief asked him what's, uh, what's going on here these two lads were fighting oh they were fighting oh they want to fight okay we'll organise a boxing match for them he said so, so um, uh, clap in the back of the head reach them and send them on back down to the old yard again mm. just you know, the clipping deal. That was it. Yeah. So that night, uh, we're in recreation. And when you leave, um, the recreation hall was outside the main block. So to bring the prisoners from the main block to the hall, you'd have a couple of officers uh, on on route. Mm. So at 20 past seven that night, same procedure. And that left me and uh, another officer in the hall with about um, instead of maybe about 60, 70 prisoners. Oh, the two boys were there, and I did nothing to them, <laughs> but I was the one that brought them up to the chief. So before I knew it, there was a circle around me, and I got a, a lot of beating. Bad beating. I got, I got, I got a bad beating. I was, I was out of work for about three weeks. Oh my god! You know? Oh my and god! It only happened once. I know. It only happened once. It only takes uh, once, though, because you hear of uh, yeah. you hear of knives yeah. or blades or shivs in certain uh, jails, don't you? Well, what happened? What they did? They started fighting again. You see, but it was only a ruse for me to go in. You know, and as soon as I went in, all hell broke loose. Well, you hacked um, it. You hacked it for you hacked it as a prison officer for thirty years, was it? Thirty years. Thirty years. Yeah. Had you had um, enough of it at that stage after the thirty? There was a time that when the alarm went off, you know, you hear it over the radio, and there was trouble in such a block or such a workshop or something like that. I was always one of the first to get there. Mm. One Saturday evening, we were down the spike. And during that, um, one of the officers radioed up that assistance required down in uh, C-Block. And this was uh, a block in, in, in Spike. That was, uh, it was trustees. You know, that was in, uh, housed in, in those cells in C-Block. 
what in God's name were the trustees fighting? But as it happened, two of them were fighting. We ran down to the from the, um, the main block down to the C block, and uh, I just I I I was a smoker then, and I just I just couldn't make I just couldn't do it. I just sat on the wall and waited for them uh, to bring the perpetrator back up to the main block. Yeah, I just yeah. wasn't out, and I said. And the body's telling me something like, yeah, you know. I know, I know, so, I know, I know. So, but come here, yeah. I really, I really enjoyed our chat. Thank you so much for taking the time. It's been absolutely know, fascinating. Look at, as I said to uh, reader, there's a story there, like, you know, there's not everyone that is in a position like I was yeah. standing in a dock with, and I'm a man that's sentenced to death, you know. Oh God almighty, it's uh, fascinating. So I said, look, tell, tell Neil if he's and that's what I have this year now today. Absolutely. Like, you know, and thank you for the yeah. opportunity to chat, Noel Dunn. Lovely talking oh, nice, to you. Nice, well, nice, nice, nice talking okay. to you. you know? We'll chat again no, soon, no. all right? And look what I was told by the lads in the chat now. Don't forget to ask Neil to invite his back in for another few songs on, the, on your show. Anytime so you're ready, ever, boy, my door is open. You let me know when you want to come in. You're more than welcome to come in and play a few tunes. No problem. Uh, Neil. Thanks a million. God bless, Noel. Thank you so yeah, much. God bless. Take care. God bye, bless. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Very, very interesting conversation. Lovely chatting with Noel Dunn. Thanks again to Noel for speaking to me. Noel's a member of the Mayfield Men's Shed, who, along with many other groups across the city and county, will be showing off their talents on the top floor of County Hall tonight as part of Creative Lives in partnership with Red FM. It's from half past six to 8 p.m. or there, thereabouts. Pop along if you'd like to get involved in one of the many, many groups who will be there tonight showing exactly what they do. Uh, our lines will stay open. You can text 0868104106. One person says, I worked with Noel all of my service in Cork. A gent to work with. We could do with some of his experience and humour in the prison service now. Although I don't think Noel would like the hug-a-thug ethos that now exists. That's a new one on me. The hug-a-thug ethos that now exists in the prison service. We can pick up on that conversation and lots more besides in the morning. Our lines are open now if you want to scoop for yourself a pair of tickets from Moncrief. We have five sets of tickets to give away right now and every day this week because uh, Red FM are sponsoring the gig. It's the only place you'll get tickets for the show is on air. So lines are open for that on 0818104106. And of course, he plays Cypress Avenue on Wednesday, the 12th of April. Back in the morning. Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts.